What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Season Gaming BitCast. I almost messed it up right out to start. Episode 255. I am your host, Ainsley Bowden, back with another Sunday conversation and a very exciting one for me personally today, and I hope for you as well. So we've not only got the full cast of characters back, but we have a special guest today, and we'll be talking about a lot of things relating to game development and all of the things that go with it. So uh, let me jump around the room here. So Looking very dark and devilish this morning, Mr. Travis. How are we doing? Hi. I'm not that devilish, I promise. Well, you're nice you, to is be that here. Black on black tie here. Black tie on uh, this black is shirt. A purple tie. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Purple. It looks blue on the camera, though. It's it does look blue. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, glad to be here, Tyler. Nice to meet you. Excited to talk to somebody from Respawn. Very talented team. Although the uh picture here this this um what do you call it um youtube photo thumbnail that's what the word i was looking for um it looks like we're interviewing his dog yeah yeah murph yeah, yeah. yeah we can make that happen if you'd like he, <laughs> I'm all he's for it. generally more agreeable and more enjoyable than i am oh wow <laughs> i've never interviewed a dog but uh, i'm open to it yeah open, i think between tyler dan and me you're probably more likely to get a better conversation out of the dogs than us, honestly. <laughs> I've just accepted that generally people want to interact with him before me. That's fine. I mean, I do too. <laughs> Fair enough, Travis. Hogue, looking bright this morning, my friend. How we doing? I'm doing okay. Good morning. <laughs> Dan is uh, currently selling some vases on eBay, apparently, and he's working yeah. through that during the show. How are we yes. doing, Mr. Rodriguez? I'm doing good. I got my look at this. Hold on, look at this. I got my dog <laughs> shirt on. You like that? Oh yes, Loki and Bean. This is what I got for Father's Day. So, <laughs> That's awesome. My wife is hilarious. I love it. My favorite shirt now. Um, I like that all that I can see is the top of the t-shirt. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I thought like it was for us, Dan. I thought yeah. it was for us originally. Yeah. I'll get one with like you three on here for the next one, you know, and just put your names underneath. But yeah, that'd be good. I'm ready. Ready to go. Let's do it. Excellent. Excellent. And joining us this week um, is Mr. Tyler Hatred Owens from Respawn Entertainment. How are we doing, man? I'm doing really well. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate y'all having me and uh, looking forward to chatting. Yeah, man. I know we've. Uh, I'm super excited. We've talked about this for a while now. I had to work through some things to have you on, but uh, you know, we were. He, he is. Uh, if you're not familiar with Tyler, uh, works on Apex Legends, also worked on Halo Infinite, and actually used to compete in Halo professionally at one point in time at the professional level, I should say. Um, so uh, obviously, he and I were uh, chatting prior to the show, which I'm very excited about. But we will get into is, a lot of that. Quick correction, father? just one. It was Halo Five. Oh, nice. I like this view because yeah, it cuts yeah. out. Dan has already left the show, apparently. He gave us three minutes of his time. That was good. I was going to ask Wouldn't be a um, show without Dan screwing things up. How we doing, brother? I, I guess he accidentally hit goodbye. Probably. I might have hit like the Windows computer. <laughs> Halo 5, anyway, on the curve. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No worries. Yeah. Uh, no one would accuse me of playing Halo of any type professionally, so it's all good. <laughs> Yeah, I used, to, used to compete back in the day. I sort of gave up on it uh, at one point. To, you know, I, I left my team to go join the army and sort of competed as I could uh, from the IRL. You know, around then, yeah, I, tra I even traveled from Germany where I was stationed all the way to Providence, Rhode Island for an MLG tournament in 2011. Um, <laughs> uh, 
but it was extremely, you know, valuable and useful time really. And it was lots of fun. Still friends with so many of those people. Yeah. Nice. It's amazing. It's amazing. Is your father Mephisto? <laughs> nice. I like it. Um, <laughs> good joke. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Make his sister Lilith. <laughs> yeah. He's a yeah, Tyler said hi. Yeah. Tyler Hatred. That, that actually, that tracks too. Yeah, that yeah, checks that out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so why don't we, uh, before we get into uh, some of the specifics we want to talk to you about, Tyler, with regard to kind of game development and uh, a lot of things sure. around that, why don't we talk about kind of what games we're actively playing? I know that Hogue and Dan were talking more and more about Final Fantasy 16, which I want to hear about because I actually didn't play it anymore this week. So I'm still in the same spot I was last week. Um, and there's a lot of other things to, to touch on as well. But first, let me hear about Final Fantasy 16, guys, because Hogue, your journey has kind of been all over the place with it based on your tweets. They Where are we at? It's a roller coaster and it's been delivering for me. But <laughs> yes, I've discovered an entire portion of the gaming community that I didn't know existed by saying, wow, I really like Final Fantasy 16, but it's got more Kingdom Hearts nonsense than I was expecting. <laughs> and that became my most viewed tweet ever. I might have broken Twitter. Ah, uh, uh, out of everything you you've tweeted, it's some of those viral tweets. That nope. was your biggest tweet ever. I get it. I get it. As soon as I he said what the tweet was, I knew exactly <laughs> who is talking to him. And guess what? As somebody who's reviewed numerous JRPGs and anime esque games, and some of those he's given not good scores to, I know this group very well. <laughs> They're in my DMs on a regular basis to do it's, things it's like funny to me, right? Because Kingdom Hearts mm -hmm. nonsense. I'm trying not to spoil anything. The game just came out. And so I'm not saying anything very specifically. And everybody kind of brings their own notion of what Kingdom Hearts nonsense is to the table. <laughs> yeah, so like you got people coming to me and saying, well, you just don't like friendship. And I was like, well, I've never been accused of that. <laughs> um, but that's not what I'm talking about anyway, friend. I well, I think Final Final Fantasy RPGs, Kingdom Hearts, definitely go off the rails in their own fashion. Yep. You know, Agreed. And for the record, I don't like friendship. So <laughs> I don't like friendship. I mean, we know that. Yeah. But, yes, I was very surprised about that particular uh, tweet taking off. But it's um, it is the case that Final Fantasy 16, which I've played a lot more of than you, Ains, it sounds like. Yeah, has a certain tone that it wants to achieve and to present itself as early on. And there's one element of that story that is, I don't think, a great fit for what the game otherwise is. And I'm not even sure that the development team's heart is in it, honestly. It's not, it's not great. It's not implemented well. We could talk about that more extensively in some kind of spoiler cast mode or, or otherwise, but right now what i would say is i love the game it's very likely to be my game of the year at this point in time even with okay. zelda and diablo out there and starfield coming whoa but whoa but <laughs> it is it's not landing the plane very smoothly okay. did you play dave the diver though so <laughs> no i was told last week that it was available on my switch but it's not on my switch so i have not played dave the oh, diver damn it travis it's on, it's on steam initially did. it's coming to switch soon mm. <clears throat> What I was playing just before this show was a new mystery game from the Danganronpa team called Rain Code. Yes, I've Switch, seen uh, reviews for I it. I was really enjoying. It's very, very weird. 
Apparently very good, though. Got pretty strong reviews, if I remember. But to those of you on Twitter that told me that I just don't, I'm just trying to say I don't like Japanese games with that tweet. That was a good one. That I saw is that. crazy. Yeah. That was I said that Japanese was people, actually. That was my yeah. specific one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like, I, I had a number of comments that accused me of lying about having played all the Final Fantasies. True. Who would lie, lie about also, this? What, what, what does this gain people, me? People on the internet love making up a headcanon about you. I mean, just... <laughs> Wow. He's a radical YouTuber who hates the Japanese and has never played a Final Fantasy game in his life. That's the hope we know. Uh, yes. uh, yeah, I mean, that's what we represent here. I suggest that you get a shirt that says that, but, you know, I'm the <laughs> shirt guy, I guess. You know, maybe, maybe I'll get one that says, Hoke hates the Japanese and just wear it. <laughs> that's what we'll do. Dan, how far are you into it? I am approximately, according to PlayStation, 87% through the game Ooh, uh, okay. so that is yeah it's pretty far i love it i mean I, I think it's really fun i don't think i'm surprised that like the combat was kind of the main thing people were fearing now that you've seen it because there's a lot of you know elements that are missing that used to be like just the party system in general i i that's the biggest like miss for me it's really not yeah. you know I don't feel like <clears throat> I'm really connected with all the other characters that are there so much. Uh, it's more they're there. They're kind of there to move the story forward, to kind of build to your character a little bit. But there's no, I don't know, there's really no stakes with them because I have no control over them. There's no, you know, I can't do anything with their, you know, whatever they're they're equipped with, like, you know, the... And that's a whole nother thing. The the I don't know if it's the economy or if it's the just the uh, the way you upgrade your gear and stuff. That's just that's hogwash. I mean, it's just <laughs> right. It doesn't really exist. It's not. It's, it's not. It's really not there. RPG. I mean, I think that that means no. To be I don't think so. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's definitely not. But I agree with you completely on the party system. And people might hear it as, oh, you need more menus and RPG systems and equipment. No, I think what Final Fantasy was really good at was multiple perspectives and multiple yes. arcs through a giant world-changing story. And this loses that in favor of the kind of normal hero monomyth kind yeah. of thing. And I think that that's a loss. That It feels Huge. less like Final Fantasy for that, which I, I will already be getting tweets about because I, <laughs> I understand it is a Final Fantasy. I, I did see the title screen, but it is lacking certain of the things in breadth and scope that I like so much. And ironically in the first Final Fantasy to take it down to one person that isn't even emulating Game of Thrones so much as copy it, copying it. Game of Thrones came to prominence, really well known for multiple perspectives on a worldwide conflict. Mm -hmm. And that isn't present in Final Fantasy 16. Mm -mm. Nope. You guys so are not inspiring not me to continue with this too much. Sorry, Travis, I mean to cut you off. I mean, it's still really, really good. That's the thing. Like Even outside of like, it, that, it, the it combat is, is so so well done it's not devil may cry even people can say that it's not it's it's really something different it, it, it may be devil may cry with like all these bells and whistles added onto it and it's really and i think it's pretty challenging it's I funny i would describe them. it as simpler than devil may cry really because man, yeah i think I, it's I significantly have, simpler I always, I always remember playing devil may cry and just button mashing the hell out of stuff and i can't do that here yeah you know <laughs> there's there's a lot of uh especially with like some of the bigger bosses and some of the these hunts that you go on or whatever they're they're very you know it, they're tough man for me i mean i'm not very good 
generally at these <laughs> games. So, so, you know, it's not, I'm not going to say they're, I mean, I can finish them. So obviously they're not like souls like levels of stuff, but they're, 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 there's some tough uh, bosses out there. I mean, some of the regular fights that I've been, you know, I feel a little bit more comfortable in, but I, I mean, I've loved it so far. And I don't know. I haven't played a whole lot of kingdom hearts, so I don't know what kingdom hearts he means. But you know, gonna, nobody does. Yeah, or, yeah. Apparently, nobody else does either. So, whatever but, you like about Kingdom Hearts, I personally assaulted and insulted your family. Yes, about. by just saying that one thing. I saw it, man. It was kind of wild. You know, yeah, you shouldn't have done story. that, man. It was very yeah. nice. And the Japanese. It's gonna eat all of your all of your posts. Your, when when more people yeah. when more people get to the end of this, I think they're gonna they're gonna see what I'm talking about. But right now, they just think i i hate kingdom hearts which i i like kingdom hearts enough but even if it has similar themes to final fantasy in certain ways it was always the more superficial and worstly told version of those themes and to see that in mainline final fantasy doesn't fill me with joy <laughs> i have heard from people who have played it um i think our reviewer is like 80 hours into it now and he said um he said that it does kind of go off the rails at one point. Uh, and he said that there are very kind of slog periods within the game mixed between these superb, you know, superb kind of highs, right? That so it is a JRPG is yeah. what I'm hearing. Well, <laughs> I, interestingly, nice maybe? some of the highs, which I assume are for the most part the icon fights. Yeah, those things are disgusting. Um, there are some that are great that I love, and there are some that are in my opinion bad like hold the button down for five separate boss transformations and get to the end all while butt rock plays in your ears it's all good stuff but i think what people are responding to is the scope of them they're huge yeah uh, yes. i don't i don't know that they are as good as people have suggested but the game overall is great. And what I love about Final Fantasy or any kind of speculative fiction is world building. And it's it's in there. You can see it. The lore is great. That active time lore system is good. But for all that realism, it does just launch itself directly off the cliff and over the <laughs> now life-giving mountain. See, I see. I, I, I feel like I should have hit that already. But you did. I had, or, I, or I did. And I just didn't realize how far off the cliff because the rest of it was so far off the cliff already, I guess. I mean, I, I, I didn't, I, I, I played, through, I, I, there's a lot of stuff I don't understand, even with the, I think the active time lore stuff is awesome. Um, I think uh, there's like that one person you can go to and get like the whole, you know, uh, yes, tone. how everything, every tone, game should have yeah. tones. Oh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, this is the fact that, you know, somebody made you pay for a, you know, the lore part of it, you know, with Gollum, it's crazy to me. This is so well Gollum. done. Gollum. Gollum. I don't care. Yeah, yeah it doesn't matter. They're out of business. Put <laughs> so, some respect yeah. on his fake name. <laughs> I should have. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the thing it's it's I love the icon battles. I you know, I love that kind of stuff. I don't know where it went off the rails for you necessarily. I can, you know, but I still don't understand half the stuff that happened in the first four hours. Like they never come back and explain some of the things. I'm just like, you know, like how did this happen? Like, why is this person here? You know, I'm just, I'm, I, it, that's the more, even going back and looking at all this stuff, it doesn't really get that detailed and maybe. But you're coming close happen. to talking about the Kingdom Hearts nonsense, which is when I say it in that tweet is about mystery for the sake of mystery and this kind of, we're going to okay. introduce concepts and voices and different languages or terms 
or things that we're going to say are going to be important. And to this game's credit, they explain everything, but it's done in this way that is just designed to make you feel like it's mysterious. When if you told the story in a more normal fashion, it wouldn't be as mysterious, but it would be more approachable and engaging at the time that you're actually experiencing these things. Yeah. All right. That's Kingdom Hearts nonsense. All right. I got you. Then yes, you are correct. (laughs) Storytelling style. Yeah. I'm not tweeting that, but I will agree with you. Coward. Coward. You mean, I believe they would say Craven. Yeah, my, my my thirty followers will probably be you know <laughs> all over it. Yeah. Alex, it. Uh, go ahead. Uh, no, just say oh, send, send it. it. Always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Dan. What do you got to lose? Yeah, Twitter. It doesn't even work. No one's going to see it anyway. So That's don't true. worry about it. There. Yeah, yeah. True. Alex said uh, in the chat, uh, who's uh, our reviewer for it, said it's definitely about the scale and the spectacle of those fights and the mechanical complexity of them. Oh yeah, it's not that hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's but it's fair. awesome yeah. looking. I agree too. I, I think some of the cinematic quality of transitioning to from gameplay directly to high fidelity, you know, action yeah. scenes with tons of scope, and then immediately back to gameplay. I mean, all of that is definitely part of the spectacle. Uh, but it's also like a, in my opinion, in those regards, for sure, the game is like a technical masterclass um, in that respect. Uh, yeah, I have lots of opinions. I've, I'm about forty hours in now. Um, yeah, so. share them. Go, go. What do you uh, think? I don't know. I, I I love the game. It's like Hogue and Dan said. It's not an RPG in the same sense that you would think most Final Fantasy games are. Uh, and yeah. I think it. A lot of people it mis maybe misrepresented what it was meant to be or the setting was going to be in this gritty, grounded, sort of realistic Western narrative. Western in the sense of, you know, more like Game of Thrones or whatnot, uh, narrative. Yeah. And, and and it's really not. Uh, I mean, you know, it's still a Final Fantasy Kingdom Hearts game, you know, where it goes <laughs> off the rails and becomes less grounded. But um, even though those weren't my expectations, and I went in really skeptical, honestly, I wasn't even going to buy the game. At, even though I'm a lot, like Final Fantasy is among my favorite series of all time. Final Fantasy seven and and those PlayStation era games, I mean, Final Fantasy VI is my favorite game of all time. Yes, um, now you're talking our language. And like six? Final six. Yeah, six. Perfect. All right. Um, <laughs> I I see the the fingerprints of all of those games all over this one, um, and I feel like uh, maybe I look into it too much or give the team too much credit. But even the things that I initially disliked about the game, the more I thought about them, I'm like, oh wow, that 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 might make actual lots of sense uh like for example the the lack of like an open world right and there's these like sort of sectioned stages and levels that you load and you know uh, initially to me i was like man this is like something that's really missing from the final fantasy experience to me is this big exploration in the scale of this world um but also when i think about the game and and the various side quests and how so much of the narrative and and what you would get from your party and these different perspectives are really spread out throughout the world now like there's you know these side quest characters and stuff that persist throughout the story who have these like you know growing character arcs that all sort of start to develop over time and so you know where i I felt like you know the the party was missing or the world open world was missing you know i I noticed that there was really thoughtful application in my opinion of like some of those elements in other areas right like uh i do feel somewhat attached and and connected to people of the world like martha and some of these auto and some of these other like you know npcs and so like i find myself just consistently 
impressed or my expectations exceeded because like, I'm trying to think critically about it as like, you know, hardcore final fantasy fan and ask myself like, is this a final fantasy game? Um, and you know, in lots of respects, it's not, but I think overall it definitely, it, it is, um, you know, uh, uh, I just think about like, you know, the con how much easier it would be to develop a game with this much interconnected story and, 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 um, elements, you know, with the, you've got a map where you load different stages. So, you know, like little things like that. It seems like a gameplay element change that's different than Final Fantasy, but really like it tends, lends to the quality of the overall experience, I think in itself, because you have these stories that, you know, I guess progress like through these side quests uh, through the whole game. So I don't know. I, I think uh, overall I'm having a ton of fun with it. Uh, the story is kind of wacky and crazy, um, but it's <laughs> intriguing to me. I mean, I think it's an interesting critique on Western society and the working class and, um, there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. Um, and I'm having a lot of fun. So nice. Nice. Travis, you're not playing it, right? I am. I'm oh. like seven hours into it. Oh, you're, you're like me. Then. Yeah. 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 Can't really comment too much on I'm, the I'm okay. broader scope. Yeah. I'm going to get through it eventually. It's on my list of things to do. I'm working on other stuff right now, but yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, the thing I'm really struggling with, I know we talked about this last week, but like, I, I hate handholding. I want to do what I, you know, I, and there's a lot of that. And the the RPG elements, the equipment, the kind of character building is almost non-existent, like you guys have said. And sadly, that's usually like the thing I love most. Um, <clears throat> so, I'm, yeah, I'm struggling. Like, I, I think for me, who already spends way too much time on live service games, like we always talk about Diablo, Halo, et cetera, like finding the time to put. 50 60 70 hours into this from an action game perspective which to me is what it is uh or action adventure however you want to classify it um it's gonna action be rpg I don't, I don't know if i'll do it don't you know it's an action rpg i actually agree that's the hardest part for me is that the the pacing of a lot of the cutscenes too like like dan and hogue mentioned like the 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 big cinematic pieces are incredible uh um, right some of the most gripping moments in games i've probably ever had if not like you know some of the most compelling recently i mean it definitely contender for game of the year to me um but like yeah like the cutscene pacing and and whatnot makes it really difficult for me to sit down and play in a large chunk i find myself doing it in between like cleaning the kitchen and stuff it's like i play for a little bit on the living room and then it goes into a cutscene, and i just turn it up and walk into the kitchen and start doing dishes I've and listen that. to them talk Same. because yeah it's just like i want to know what's going on but i really just don't have 18 minutes to sit here and listen to you talk yeah mm. and and as you said the quality on them is extremely high like it's voice acting is superb the, the cinematic quality is superb and even like the uh the framing of those things is excellent I yes just, i was uh, gonna say this is one of the few games that yeah. has establishing shots for locations uh-huh and yep. has music that fades out at the end of the cutscene instead of like these hard cuts into great music by the way too. Next. like it's it's got these little Very bits polished. of polish that a lot of games skip and I think are, are well worth celebrating because it makes the whole experience smoother. Agreed. Regardless of how I feel about plot elements. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's, that's yeah. I've sorry to cut you off. The, no, I experienced that, that as well uh, a lot. And that's why I think a lot of those elements where I thought were negatives for me have turned into positives because that's like a direct result to me of, of exactly that. Like, you know, the stages and the sort of like the way that the side quests are broken up make it such that the game can easily transition you into these cutscenes. Um, like they've structured the game very intense, like purposely for cinematic quality. 
Uh, and it really shows like, uh, I've tried to break like side cut, like side quests, like transitions by like, you know, starting the animation and doing something. And I just can't haven't been able to, um, and that's not normal. Like it's normally pretty easy to break most games. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm struggling with. It's like, do I want to plod through the things I don't like about the game to enjoy these highs, right? The, the things. And I, I don't know if I will or not, I guess we'll see. Um, but that's good. I know that um, a couple guys at SG are, are really deep into the game now and really enjoying it. They've said very similar things to what we've all just said, that despite the various kind of minor drawbacks they, that they would call out, even some that aren't so minor, um, it's up there on their game of the year list, and they really, really love it. So um, Yeah, which I yeah, wasn't expecting. Um, no, so you, you like were pretty critical of this from the jump. So <laughs> the fact you saying it's your game of the year right now is a big, a big shift. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is because it's that engrossing and I've enjoyed it that much. But I think it's more than the sum of its parts. Like, I think the combat is significantly less technical than I would have anticipated or that I thought they were selling for a period there, um, which is okay with me. I don't want super technical Devil May Cry combat, but it's it's simpler than I thought it would be. And I think the world which I also was a little bit worried about when you see the like Final Fantasy Tactics map and everything's set up uh, in separate locations, actually works mostly just fine. A number of the waypoints actually are connected in one map, which I think is cool. It makes it feel bigger than it otherwise is. The only criticism I would have of any of that is it does have a little bit of Final Fantasy XIV feel in it in terms of you never get gradation of like woods to desert. So you just, you just have locations that are biomes. Um, and that's very much kind of Final Fantasy XIV or an MMO where you, you show up in the, 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 the northern wastes or the desert kingdom or whatever, and it's just that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Got to a set level. Yeah, it's funny you said that because Nubilax in our chat literally just said they basically did a single-player Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> oh, it, oh, there's a absolutely. direct line from fourteen to 16. Absolutely. I guess that's to be expected, but you can absolutely yeah. see it right down to the you know glowing lines that say you're going to exit the area. And the some of the boss encounter attacks feel just straight out of 14 and even the like event messaging in the ui like for text mm. and stuff is right out of final fantasy 14. i mean it makes sense you've got shared development resources i mean final fantasy 14 is a huge success to begin with why would you not kind of overlap some of that yeah like the turning in yeah. of items for quests is like oh, <clears> that feels like the little gray boxes cool well i didn't uh that's good insight on final fantasy 16. i've got a I don't know. I keep debating whether I'm going to turn it on or not. And then I go play Halo or Diablo instead, which is pretty much any game, to be honest. So um, <laughs> I'll give it a shot. But Travis, you said you're working on other thing. things. I am. Um, dude. I, there's just a few games that take up 90% of my time, for real. Um, I know you talked about Dave the Diver last week. Uh, mm -hmm. looks like you're obviously not alone. Really high, high reviews on that game. A lot of people kind of preaching to go play it for people. So if uh, you missed that and you missed... Uh, did you talk about it fully last week? Why can't I remember? I couldn't remember if your embargo was up or not. I think my embargo was not up. It went on Monday. Okay. Well, it actually went live that day, that night at midnight. So Oh, okay. So you yeah, want to? Like do you mind touching on it real quick? Yeah, sure. Um, I gave it a 9 out of 10. It was almost my first 10 out of 10. Um, it is an extremely good game. It's one of those games you never really see coming, and the less you know about it, the better, but it just continually surprises you and is very fun and interesting and weird, and it kind of reminds me of how games should be, right? 
doesn't take itself seriously. It's just silly and really addictive. And every time you see, you think you've seen everything, they throw something else completely out of nowhere. Um, not all their ideas work, but they never stop trying to just do weird and interesting stuff and, and keep making the game uh, interesting. And uh, yeah, it's uh, you can play it on the Steam Deck. I I didn't I, I guess their their Switch release date must be a little after their Steam release date, but um, it does have like a V one like the the full you can play it through the full game to the credits now, uh, which is cool because it was an early access game for those who don't know. Um, okay. You could play the first three chapters for a while now, um, which is why I was able to talk about some of it last week because a lot of it was playable um, already. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it was a really cool game. Got I'm glad I randomly decided to review it because it was super fun and uh one of the better games i played this year um and now i'm on to my next review which i can talk about because it's a game cool. that uh is already out um a little background on this game it was one i was supposed to review and then the publisher said they weren't going to give early copies to anyone and having played the game i now understand why um it is uh <laughs> not not good it's not a good game uh, it is a Switch party game called Everybody One Two Switch. Oh, I'm playing follow that. Up, yeah, it is a follow up to uh, uh, the I believe it was a launch title for the Nintendo Switch called One Two Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that was uh, uh, kind of an interesting uh, party game, but more of like a showcasing of what Switch technology could do and the fun stuff you could do with the Joy Cons and all that. Um, and this follow up is. Uh, I had eight people at my house yesterday to play it, and uh, I I don't think they're my friends anymore. <laughs> well, what you need is your daughter because it was a big hit in Hogue House yesterday. Except for Horace. House. How do you feel about Horace? My girls do Horace, not love Horace. Horace is a creepy guy. Yeah, okay. I don't like how his face suddenly transitions to CGI and he like bites carrots and stuff. That's that's actually exactly what my daughter what? said. She was like, "No, his mouth it's, moves." It's and, jarring. Oh, no, it's it, not good. It's jarring. Yeah, it's like it's like he it's he's a character with a rubber horse mask. You know that iconic horse mask. Oh, that's what that. I saw people tweeting about yeah. the horse with the horse mask. I'm like, what are we? Talking yeah, and about? then anyway. okay. it, it's clearly a guy in a rubber mask, just like gesticulating while Vo talks to him. But then every once in a while, it'll like bizarrely transition to like a rubbery CGI version of the horse mask. And he'll like do things like talk out of his horse mouth and and eat a carrot or something like that. And you're just like, Oh God, I really didn't like the way that looked. Um, But yeah, it's one of those (laughs) games where, uh, you know, you, you play mini games and somebody tries to win, but the problem is the mini games are like largely not interesting. There's one where you like, you do a quiz, but the quiz is like, you know, what are, are, monkeys known for climbing trees yes or no like that's the quiz it's just like we had a lot of fun hiding the joy cons yeah we okay so hiding the joy cons was one that was actually kind of interesting and then there was one more okay i have to talk about the ninja mini game in that i don't know if you've played the ninja i haven't played ninja i think UFO and hiding the joy cons was the the favorites okay i i don't know if i've seen the ufo one um there there's this one where you it's it's a great idea for minigame one person is a ninja with a sword and everybody else on the opposite team is a ninja with shurikens and you're supposed to surround the player and throw ninja stars at them and the person who's the ninja with the sword has to wait and then 
slice the shurikens and they their win con is that they don't get hit by any of the shurikens and they cut them all and the win con of the ninjas is they have to one person has to hit them at some point um is this an on-screen thing or are you like swinging joy cons you're swinging joy cons it, it's a it's a game that's going to be really hard to show in a review because there's there's really like i can't show what was happening in the room like my footage yesterday for the game that was the most fun, which was hiding the Joy-Con. It's just a screen saying hide the Joy-Con, right? Like I can't show <laughs> the pandemonium that was happening in right. my living room, right? I can't show that. Um, so I have no idea how I'm going to show this game, to be honest with you. Um, but anyway, uh, the, <laughs> the game is so poorly thought out because the only the only way that you block it for you're supposed to surround the person and throw shurikens but direction doesn't matter right so like if you hear somebody throw a joy-con because that makes a very loud noise when a shuriken is thrown all you have to do is move your your joy-con at all and it'll like count it as a hit right so you're surrounded by people shurikens but it, the that doesn't matter oh, so it's you not 360 kinda, it's literally just it's not 360 you literally okay. just go huh huh and you're supposed to um, the, play act, Travis. Open your imagination door. <laughs> yes, I'm trying to do that. The problem is okay. that the, a meta developed in my household, which is that if you cannot hear the shurikens being thrown because of the TV volume is drowned out by the noise of banshee screams from the other players, <laughs> then it becomes impossible to block the shurikens because it's 100% noise-based. So literally, the cannon in my house began as soon as it was time for the shurikens to throw ninja stars, everyone on the ninja star team started screaming in your ears as loudly as they possibly could. So you couldn't possibly hear the television or any shurikens being thrown. And then they would, you know, throw shurikens at you while you weren't really sure what was going on. And... uh it was horrifying. It was truly, it ruined my day. I, I, I don't know. Um, this all sounds like a good time to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm really, yeah. yeah. It's a good time. It's a good time. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to give it. I've only put a couple hours into it yesterday, but it was, uh, I'm going to play more of it today. L luckily, the cool thing about this is I got this because they didn't give early access copies. I got it on Friday. And then this uh, 4th of July weekend, it has me going to a lot of places with groups. So it's like been a great opportunity to just like try it. Like there's an IGN party on 4th of July that I'm going to. And I think there's going to be like 30 or 40 people there. And I'm going to try to get them to all play the game because it has a 100 player mode. <laughs> Everybody can play on their phones. So you can have like 50 ninjas throwing shurikens and banshees. Can you make screaming. sure they all scream at you? Yeah, I, I'm going to really try to go deaf this week is my goal. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it, it's a you know it's a silly game. I don't I, I haven't played enough to really come come out on it, except to say that I get why the publisher held it held it back. It clearly has, has polish issues and doesn't really. At least the initial premise was that nobody wanted to play this game with me and my my friend group. They were just like, please don't make me do that again. So um, maybe Nintendo held it back because they were worried about cynical San Franciscans. Yeah. Maybe it's possible. <laughs> possible i mean if your own daughters were freaked out by the horse head it's they not... don't like the horse they don't like yeah. horse yeah if they don't like horse the host of the show that's kind of not a good sign for their child the audience yikes yeah yikes how many did you play would you play like one 20 minute match what was uh we played a 120 with the joy cons and 120 with the smart devices yeah and they have different games oh yeah here's another thing like an anecdote about this this game is um we went to play a mode and it was like, you have to take photos of things. So everybody has it open on their phone and it's like, oh, this mini game requires you to take photos. And then everybody, you know, 
clicks on their phone, join game. And as soon as they do, it cancels the game. And the reason it canceled it was because half of the players in the room had their camera turned off for their browser. And the game was just like, oh, like that you don't know. Nope, not playing the game. And it just skipped it. And it was like, well, you can turn the camera on for the browser. Like you just go into settings and you do it. But the game just like canceled the game and like moved on. So we didn't get to play that one. So <laughs> it's got all like these weird like technology problems where it like it needs access to like your camera and your microphone and like other stuff. And you have to be using a browser. And sometimes you're using a Joy-Con and it's just got like these weird like like setting up the game if you're joining on a phone takes like 10 minutes. It takes like a long time. And if you're using Joy-Cons, everybody has like one at a time enter their name on the Joy-Cons. So, you know, when you join Jackbox and it's like really easy, everybody just like yeah. types their name and then they join. Yeah. And this one, it's like, all right, everybody one by one, click A on your Joy-Con, type out <laughs> your name using the keypad, the digital keypad on screen, and then click go. And then you're waiting for everybody to do that. If you have like 10 players, it takes a long time. Like I was like, dude, I feel like we've been trying to start this game for like 30 minutes. So. <laughs> And then somebody accidentally backed out and it deleted all the names and made you like rejoin and re-enter all the names. It's just like, oh my God, dude. Seriously, we all have to retype our names again. So yeah, just these weird like tech problems where you're just like, oh, that kind of bothers wow. me. But yeah. Shout out to Jackbox, I'm, I'm, by the way. Amazing game. Shout out to Jackbox. Great game. You're frozen, by the way. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Lovely. You look great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a good, that's a good still frame of me right there. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought um, maybe it was just his reaction, like just constant reaction to <laughs> Travis's description of this game. Just like, uh, no. Yeah. Well, hey, look, I'm I'm glad to hear that Hoag's kids liked it because my first thought was this is cl very clearly meant for kids and I don't think kids would be amused by it. That was my first thought because just I was thinking about myself as a kid. I was like, I was smarter than that. Like, I didn't think like pumping a balloon because like, like there's some mini games where I'm like, okay, this was in Marty Mario party like 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Like this was in Mario party like a long time ago. There's one where like you pump balloons, yeah. but you can't pump them you too big or they'll pop, you know? Yeah. And then I was just like, but that's not like, it doesn't really do a good job of showcasing like anything unique about the switch. And so far, at least the phone integration stuff hasn't been that unique either. So that was just my initial thought, but I'm, I'm glad to hear uh, that your kids liked it. I, I'd be curious to see if they, continue to like it or if, like you know, if, stuff. If, if every mini game you play it one time and then after that it's pretty much dead to you because that was we we got two games that we had to play twice and the second time we were like oh my god like kill my family i don't want to be here for this <laughs> uh and uh yeah one of them was like a game where kids scream at you that they want ice cream and then you have to remember their orders and then and then tell them tell the screen how many ice cream how many orange sherberts were ordered by these kids that screamed at you out of your tv and you're just like now i'm doing retail like what what is yeah, this yeah. I, I don't yeah, know for a low wage yeah. job like yeah yeah, yeah. i live that in real life job. i don't want to i don't want to pay <laughs> yeah. for a game to do that to me i'm good thank you i always so love anyway. Nintendo being weird so do <laughs> i I, I, love, I, love, I love i'm, I'm this happy game unemployment that, escapism is that what that is <laughs> <laughs> my daughter loves job simulator you know yeah, yeah, yeah. job simulator is a popular game in europe where they don't have jobs by the way there's so many simulators now like i think you yeah. can they're endless it's true it's crazy steam simulator um, simulator yeah <laughs> so i want to mention i haven't played it yet so i can't even really talk about it but i at least want to mention battle bit because i've had 
multiple people reach out to me about this game. Uh, if you're not familiar with BattleBit, it is an early access on Steam right now. It is a large-scale multiplayer shooter in the vein of like classic Battlefield, where 254 like players, 254. 254, yeah, on a server. Uh, but it is uh, kind of low poly look, right? It, it, for lack of a better comparison, it looks like Minecraft, but it plays like Battlefield with destructibility and weapons and vehicles and all this stuff. And uh, one of the guys at SG reached out to me last night, shout out to Eric, saying, hey, you got to pick this up. We got to play it. And um, I've heard a couple other people talk about how fun it is as well. So apparently, from what I understand, it's made by a handful of devs. It's an early access. They're still working on it. From what I've seen, it's really blown up. It, like one day last week on Steam is with the best selling game and it kind of like caught on yeah. fire. So uh, really cool to see, but uh, I only installed it this morning. I'm looking forward to playing it. But uh, if anyone out there in the chat is playing it or checking it out or, um, you know, let us know. But it, it sounds really cool to me. Uh, and some of the it video cool. footage and gameplay I've seen is really cool. Yeah, so I picked it up last week. I think we talked about that, and I've played a couple matches since then. And I uh, think it's a very clever, interesting uh, game. It definitely reminds me of, like, older battlefields obviously the graphics are kind of the novelty of it but uh it didn't really bother me i kind of forgot that it looked low poly after a while i was just like you know shooting rocket launchers and getting <laughs> gunned down by people in helicopters and stuff so it was cool yeah yeah it's uh i think it's an interesting thing because obviously uh and tyler you could obviously speak to this better than any of us but you know a, a game like battlefield um 2042 which saw tons of issues as we all know but uh has become quite good since um what they're trying to do in that game is so advanced technically with everything going on on the screen that when you break it down to what battle bits done is they want to take that kind of fun aspect of a bunch of players just chaos chaotic sandbox but make it so that from a probably a data processing perspective it's a lot uh, more streamlined than something like battlefield uh which allows them to you know create that kind of large scale craziness um with a, a much smaller development team so i think that's really kind of a cool concept yeah i think also like you if you in the instances like that game like you want to get as many people into your game and and to like be able to experience the hook as as fast as possible right and, and capitalize yeah. on it um and i think by like you know reducing i get i want to say reducing the, i mean reducing the fidelity fidelity of the game honestly like increases accessibility in in some aspects too right like the sure. the how many people who have the hardware capable of getting on and enjoying your game at its you know best or at least providing what is part of your hook right and for battlefield style games a lot of it is the high visual fidelity realism right and if you don't have the machine to experience that hook yeah right like you're not going to see the long-term success in a live service environment or even a multiplayer environment right um so i think it's a really yeah. smart and cool cool game uh uh, it's just going to be interesting to see how they capitalize on it because, you know, when uh, when players finally get their eyes on your game and then get into your game, you're going to start running into issues that you didn't expect. And uh, how sure. you respond to those is is critical. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I'm sure they're getting inundated with things as we speak. Um, by the way, a bunch of people asking. Yes, Elu said it's $15, at least in the U.S. I believe it's $20 Canadian because uh, Eric's in Canada. So uh, whatever that translates to where you are. Um, but yeah, it's $15 early access. There is like a supporter pack you can buy for like another $15 comes with a bunch of skins and, you know, supports the game as it goes through early access to full release. But yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out. I kind of made waves this week. So anything like that, I like to check out and see what they're doing. Be cool. Any other games we want to touch on before we jump to bigger topics, boys? 
No. No, I don't think okay. so. Mostly Final Fantasy 16 for me. That's been that for me. Yeah. But okay. <clears throat> lots of fun yep. stuff on the Switch, especially if you like horsemen. Which apparently a lot of people don't. Yeah. Um, as soon as I finish 16, I'm finally diving into Diablo. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. You haven't touched it yet? I played a little bit during the beta. It was just really busy okay. and uh, didn't get to it release. I uh, had trouble finding a character I liked. And then I made a rogue and messed around, got to like level 10 and found, I guess, my fun in it. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But then Final Fantasy 16 dropped and literally pulled me away the next day. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah, Diablo is, uh, I'm a kind of a fanatic. I reviewed it, and it's mostly what I've played for the past month and a half or so. Um, but it's amazing. I've got hundreds of hours into it already. But, yeah, it uh, well, huge game. I treat games yeah. like that like a recovering addict might with, you know, a relapse in the sense that those games I can just disappear in forever. Uh, you know, yeah. so I almost have to, like, create a barrier where I'm like, uh, don't lose, you know, your social life and everything to Diablo because <laughs> it's very easy um, for me to just click my life away. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, my main barb is a 74, I think, right now. Uh, my sorceress alt is a 19 or something. I don't know, but I'm waiting for the season now. So they're doing a live stream, if you didn't see, July 6th. So that's I'm what? Six, yeah. I'm covering Thursday, uh, where they're talking about season one. That's coming later in the month. Um, and, uh, you know, the seasonal approach would be similar in terms of creating character and going through the seasonal objectives like they've done in, you know, past Diablo. So trying to decide now what I want to do in terms of my seasonal character. I'm either going to go a Druid again, which I did in the review period, uh, and I loved and miss, or I may go a melee rogue too. I like melee classes. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that, but, um, continues to get a lot of play. And then other than that, playing halo uh season four came out last week um add some some nice quality of life things add some new ranked mode which is good and uh new maps and it's been been a good experience it's been fun still very sweaty very competitive and uh you know drives you crazy at times but also it's an experience that uh just isn't replicated anywhere else so but anyway all right tyler jump over some questions with you my friend um it's me yeah, I think that uh, one of the things we've talked about a lot and one of the reasons I, I began engaging with you on uh, Twitter to begin with and kind of, you know, began following you and we started talking is really around your insight. I think that I really appreciate some of the threads you've done um, on, I would say, larger topics or misconceptions around game development that <laughs> there are plenty of on Twitter and social space, right, from gamers. Um, and I think that when devs like you speak up and say, hey, here's probably what's really going on, right? Not what you may think is or assume is going on. Those are really great. And I love reading those things. And um, I think that your capability to kind of break things down, especially knowing that you work, we talk a lot on the show about live service games. It's an ongoing debate, not debate around how they're delivered, but debate around, you know, different aspects of them. Dan adores live service games. This is his favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, Hitman but, 3 is a live service game. It is. That's what? true. We, we've had that debate. Hitman 3. Hitman 3, it's a live service game. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Whatever. So is Halo and Diablo. Yeah. I think everybody here has has it's live fine. service. You can call it whatever you want. I mean, it's 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 
this not in the you know when people think live service they don't go oh yeah that's no, not totally it, 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 it's no destiny. totally dan you're 100 you're right if you define yeah. live service as only the ones you don't like it's terrible really bad genre no no i'm not <laughs> saying really the ones you don't like you dumb dumb baby yeah no yeah yes and it's just just define it in a way that suits you and i agree you just fight with the people on the bottom travis is that that, that must be it. Yes, I agree. It's live service. I'm just saying it's 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 live service. Yeah, it's one of the good ones because it doesn't. You know, I I actually love that phrase. I didn't know other people used it. Uh, I describe live service light. Thank you. Uh, I actually describe uh, like I've historically described Halo Five as like a live service light game. Um, it's probably fair. Diablo Three is live service light. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, continual content updates, right? But anyway, if you didn't tell tyler this is an ongoing uh, uh bit between these guys here on live service um but we've talked a lot about live service and i think that you working on um halo infinite rocket arena and uh now apex legends of course uh you know obviously you can speak to that with a little more um kind of knowledge and insight than we can but before we get there um i like to go back and talk about kind of what got you into this to begin with right so like how long you've been kind of in the game development space and and how you kind of got down that road we were talking a little bit before the show but i think it's interesting you know for the audience to kind of understand that path if you don't mind yeah totally uh i can talk a little bit about it first i'll say luck (laughs) luck (laughs) um anyone who tells you that anyone got into games without anything other than luck being like the number one driver, I think they're they're probably wrong. Um, I think that's you can you can look and see all the things that you've done to get where you're going, but at the end of the day, it, it, a lot of it comes down to luck. But so I would say that's the biggest thing. But essentially, like I've just been a long time Halo player, um, you know, and I essentially spent my high school years and college years just traveling around and going to Halo events, competing, going to local lands, traveling. You know, I grew up in Georgia, so I'd go to Georgia-based lands. We would drive to like Indiana to go land for a weekend. And I mean, this is just how, you know, I grew up. And so I, I, I met a lot of folks, was really involved with the MLG community and, um, was extremely active on the forums. I think I actually had like some of the highest rep on this forum, uh, top three for a while, which was pretty nerdy, but I, I built a lot, a lot of connections and maintained those relationships for a long time, which sort of helped me increase my luck. Um, and eventually just over time, you know, eventually I ended up joining the army and I got out of the army after like four years and I went to school for computer science. I wanted to work in like aerospace engineering or something. Um, but I essentially through luck, got a job offer at 343 Industries working on Halo 5 and dropped out of college and moved from Atlanta to Seattle and uh, I've essentially been up here ever since uh, and and stayed in games. I I essentially was able to leverage essentially some uh, non-gaming sector, you know, professional skills and then sort of transition into um, a gaming equivalent and then sort of able to take my own personal passion for Halo and game development and and sort of the player experience to then drive and develop, you know, new skills to get, you know, into a more gaming specific position. So I started in, in sort of IT. Um, I worked at 343 as uh, building servers, infrastructure, like managing nice. like actual hardware um, yeah. and doing general like, you know, software and, and hardware support internally. Not in the sense of like, you know, someone's Windows machine is messed up, but it's more, you know, complicated 
toolchain workflows for like, oh, my Perforce workspace is messed up, you know, or they're syncing the game code. Um, and so I was able to sort of just pick up skills there and I transitioned into sort of like a, a build uh, uh, sort of admin where I'd, I'd write infrastructure health reports every day and send them to various teams yeah. about, you know, like the nightly builds and all of this stuff. Um, and was able to make a lot of really great relationships and get to know folks there. Um, and that just sort of snowballed. Uh, you know, a few folks eventually uh, left 343 after the launch of Halo 5 and started a new studio. And we're like, hey, we have this need. It's not what you've really done before. It's kind of there. And would you like to try a new discipline, which was build engineering, which is what I do now. I'm a uh, software engineer that works in build and release. Um, and spent four years essentially just getting to learn anything and everything uh, while working on a game called Rocket Arena. And uh, yeah, and that essentially just was able to propel me and put me in a position to jump to Apex Legends, uh, you know, two and a half years ago. Um, so I think that a lot of it was really just my love for Halo, really, mm -hmm. and competing and the community that I built around it. I mean, by the time that I was working in Halo, there were friends and, and folks that were either involved with the game, like on the pro team, I knew a, a bunch of those folks, like right. you know, Strong Side, Neighbor, and uh, Gosiame, who uh, that mm -hmm. connection even, you know, is tied to me coming to Apex Legends. He was the one that, refer like Eric Hewitt was the working at EA at the time. He was the one that referred me to uh, the Apex job I applied to. But so um, really Halo has just been core to, I think my whole career really, I mean, uh, it's been a lot, yeah, uh, essentially my whole family, like, you know, I, I have a small family growing up, but those were really my friends, um, and my whole network. And, and then they're now like really just, uh, even the competitive halo folks are running the whole gaming industry. They're all over the place. Uh, you know, pro halo players are, you know, working at high res and, uh, you know, what's the, what's the game rogue the name, ah, so not Rogue Squadron is the Star Wars game. Man, it's a third person shooter. It's like a third person shooter that high res makes. Uh that was like a design director's like an ex professional oh, Halo yeah, player. I know what you mean. Um, um I feel terrible. I can't remember the name. Um <laughs> you know, and yeah, so that was a lot of it. So Halo, I think, was really what got me into games. It was games was never something that I had really ever pictured as being possible for me. Um to be honest. Uh Rogue Company. Um, Rogue Company, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I got you. Yeah, so essentially, long story short, it was just Halo. Um, you know, I really started working professionally in games in 2015 um, and have been doing it since. Uh, you know, I know you, yeah, uh, I don't want to go too deep in there. But no, sure no, I no, you're good, question. man. And, and sorry, I said Halo Infinite again. It's on my mind, Halo 5. Good. So when I, when I introduce, so apologies. But no, that's amazing. I think that um, we've, I've talked to quite a few devs now around kind of their journey to the gaming industry. And a lot of these stories sound really similar. Um, you know, it's like you love games, you play games, you meet people, and it's really those connections that somehow work into, you know, getting your foot in the door and then just kind of evolving from there. It sounds very much an industry. And I know Travis has talked about this a lot, too, is there an industry where it's really about who you know and, and you know, those connections that you make. It's a tight knit kind of community in that regard. It feels like anyway, from the outside looking in and conversations I've had. Absolutely. Um you know, uh, even after a few years of working in the industry, but like I got lucky at, to be at a place like 343 working on a, a game at this, uh, of the scope and scale of Halo. And, um, you know, those folks are now, you know, that worked on Halo 5. Most of them are either like engineering leads at Riot and service leads on TFT, you know, and they're running whole studios and stuff. And um, 
yeah, it's those connections are, are invaluable to your next step. Pretty much every job I've ever gotten was like a, a word of mouth referral um, from someone I knew in the industry. That's awesome. Awesome. So I would say, uh, and guys, feel free to jump in here. I've kind of got some things I wanted to talk about, but if anything kind of, you know, jumps into your head here for Tyler, let me know. But I, I wanted to talk about like, <clears throat> one of the big things that we see a lot is, you know, <laughs> a lot of misconceptions around how quick it is to deliver things in games today, right? What are the struggles with AAA development, right? Like why do games take so long to develop from a AAA perspective, right? Several years in some cases for big budget projects. And like, I think the complexities around game development now versus, you know, 5, 10, 20 years ago, for sure, um, I think are already are always interesting. So for someone who's worked on games like Halo 5, massive game, Apex Legends, massive game, um, like, can you kind of talk just a little bit about that? Like the complexity of actually releasing that game on multiple platforms, consoles, PC, cross play all those things that are kind of expected of a modern game today in a AAA space, like the challenges around that and why it can take so long, seemingly from the outside looking in, take so long for things to, to happen. Yeah. Um, an example I like to use, and I've used when talking about this online a lot, and it's an easy example for me is just is Halo. Um, you look at the games of like Halo 3, Halo 2 back in the day as like, you know, like an Xbox game, and people commonly talk about these features that, that – um, they really miss from those games like lobbies with party chat and proximity chat and, and, and stuff like this. And, you know, in a lot of ways, people are like, these are solved problems, right? We had it in 2007. Why don't we have it now? And, right. you know, a lot of people just, and rightfully so, I don't blame, you know, any player of games for not necessarily understanding this because it's impossible really to, unless you want to know and you go looking for the answers. But, um, you know, back then it, there's a, there's a big difference between making a game that, um, you know, interact specifically with services that are on a on a specific platform, say, for example, Xbox Live, Xbox Voice Chat, and et cetera, and are able to then leverage them in-game and their in-game features. That makes it really easy to implement something like a, a lobby party chat, um, where there's this one sort of common service that you can sort of uh, build upon or leverage, right, for some of the work. Um, but suddenly if say, for example, that same game is on another platform, that option's no longer on the table. You can't right. just use, you know, uh, an Xbox live voice service to get your party chat. You need to now build something that is compatible between whatever services are available that you want to leverage or, or not at all. Right. Like, or use your own entire, uh, solution. And the more, I think variables that you add, the more, uh, sort of conflicts and complexities that, that you get, especially once you start, um, you know, distributing, like, it, you know, the shape of your game, that's a phrase that I like to use a lot, like definitely matters to, um, you know, modern games are shaped very differently than back then. But yeah, like, a you know, a game that's on Xbox, you know, or a single platform is generally can lean really heavy heavily on whatever strengths or tools are provided to them. But uh, as you increase the number of platforms, you know, you have to sort of create buffers in between all of these. And that, that really drives a lot of the difficulty uh, as well as just sort of the multiplayer nature of games too. So there's, I mean, there's so many, so many different places I could go, but I think it's, you know, the, the big drivers are, are sort of like the, the platforms, um, multi-platform multiplayer uh, online games, you know, are really difficult to make because you have, they have to be compatible with, you know, you have this giant dependency matrix 
of all the platforms it needs to be compatible with. And you need not only just data servers for your clients to like gather information from, but also maybe dedicated servers for your players to like host their actual matches on. Um, And all of these things have to work in unison, um, you know, and have to iteratively move forward as as a unit. And the, the larger that unit gets, the more complex and complicated it becomes. And then the larger your audience is, um, the more complicated and, and risky that becomes because of the impact, the visibility, perception, right? Um, you know, between the additional complexity of actually making the games themselves, but there's also, you know, the entirety of content creation and this whole industry around uh, talking about games and literally playing games for 40 hours a week, you know, games that weren't designed to be, you know, necessarily a 40, like a full-time job. Uh, and yeah. that also exacerbates things because, you know, uh, the, the perceived impact or severity of any given issue can be, um, you know, drastically inflated or, or exacerbated uh, publicly in a way that almost forces you to do things too. So I think it's just like a lot of different factors coming together, um, increase the like, you know, sort of risk and pressure of shipping a game, but also they really are like monolithic, uh, (laughs) stacks of technology. I mean, you look at an old, an Xbox exclusive from 10 years ago that, you know, the height of golden age of FPS gaming, right? Like call of duty four and halo three. Right. And, and you look at a modern game like, say, Fortnite or something, and it's literally on nine times as many platforms or, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's absurd. And so I think that's that's the big part. Just kind of new. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole whole you know, intermediate layer that is not simple either. Right. Like, um, yeah, so I think it's, it's so many different factors. Obviously, we sure. can talk about any of them in details if you are interested. But yeah, and I think. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that would trickle down to everything in that game development, right? So like even testing new builds, right, is 10 times more complicated because you're testing all the permeations of, or permutations, I should say, of uh, what could happen, right, when a single line of code is changed for something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, unless you're, there are obviously, you know, I can go into a million different ways and every game is going to have different edge cases and, and whatnot. But yeah, like essentially, um, especially for a multiplayer game, you want to keep everything sort of in parity. You really don't want, you know, say you're making a game on PlayStation and Xbox and PlayStation moving ahead of, of, of Xbox, especially if they have like common, you know, uh, tech dependencies, right. You know, now I've got, uh, a server that's connecting to multiple different PlayStation builds. And you know, it's just, it makes things harder. You want everything sort of to like move forward together iteratively, make sure your players are having consistent consistent and the best experience possible. And yeah, I mean, that means for any given change for an appropriate test pass, you, you now have, you know, nine times as much actual data maybe, or say as nine platforms. But in this case, say you have an additional platform that's, you know, not just an additional build you need to get to a bunch of QA testers or devs or just players, et cetera, um, to test, but that's all the test passes you need to run on it as well. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, the footprint of your game becomes gigantic over time and therefore like every little change that you make, um, even though in a vacuum may seem small, the, the range of implications is humongous. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably a good explanation as to why we see people say like, uh, well, why can't you just add this coding here to this? And it's like, well, because that little change actually has to be 
yep. built and tested against you know 50 different things um yeah yeah to, and maybe gives people more context. So what I specifically do at Build Engineering is largely just delivering content to players, right? So, you know, my my job is I write code that automates and essentially builds all the game's dependencies and packages them together, uh, gets them to either internal devs uh, and for dev environments and then also to like, you know, first parties, right? So I... A lot of my expertise is working with, you know, the different uh, platforms like Sony, Xbox, Steam, Origin, et cetera, and understanding sort of like how all their tech works, how to integrate their SDKs and and ship projects on their platforms. They all patch differently. You know, how Steam patches is vastly different than even our Origin or, or PlayStation, et cetera. And um, yeah, like uh, just it sounds like operations, basically, right? Like you're... You're really yeah mistakes, basically essentially yeah i mean we not only just ship the game but enable the the development of whatever game we're supporting too right um uh how, how so, so it sound, sounds like you've worked on at least three live service teams right i would consider yes. halo 5 pretty live service um correct yeah uh what so a question i've had is what do you guys consider to be success in live service space because we've seen this phenomenon where there's the ultra successes like Fortnite, where you know it'll run for years it'll it'll have 50 seasons and and that that'll that's their success is like apex legends would be a good example there apex legends is another one they (laughs) they they have they enjoy infinite success and then you have other ones where um like knockout city where i think they did like 12 or so seasons something like that it it was not an insignificant number Three years they ran for something like three years. Right? I think it was less than that. I think it was like two years of, of seasons. But, um, yeah. but they, you know, th- their development studio, I imagine, probably felt like that was success since I, I believe Velen Studios at the time only had like 30 employees or something like that. They were like a pretty small team. Um, and they had a good run and, and I think were more successful than I think a lot of people thought they were going to be. But people still look at that game and go, oh, they failed because they, stopped doing seasons right they eventually stopped and i feel like uh the paradigm has become if you don't run forever you're a failed game which is sort of new in the gaming space right it used to be you could sell uh really well for a couple months and then people would stop buying your game but you you were still considered successful so i'm, I'm wondering um in your experience what have you what what is the team the teams you worked on what have they been looking at internally as like well this is the metric for success this is how long we need to run to be successful or or anything like that. Any insight you've got would be interesting to me. Yeah, totally. Um, I don't think, I don't know if I'm necessarily privy to some of those discussions, I guess, like, you know, you know, my current role, of course, but I, I think that like, it definitely depends on, on, you know, the studio and, and sort of your position. Um, first, of course, right. Like if you're a small scrappy studio shipping your first game, um, success might just be making a wave. Um, but in my opinion, the idea of like shipping a game that, you know, people, you know, uh, may get their eyes on, may play, may build an opinion of, um, if, if I treat it sort of like throwing spaghetti or, or you're just throwing something against the wall and seeing if it sticks, um, I sort of treat that like as, as, as an extension of sort of like internal development, you know, maybe in the past where you try an idea, you, you take it, you know, forward as far as you can, it maybe isn't like the idea of a prototype and, maybe it's fun. Maybe you feel like it's going somewhere. Maybe it's not. I think life service games are s- sort of the same is like really whether it's fun or not is it, and whether people pick, 
pick it up and it's successful is largely out of your control. And in, in my opinion, you can make a really great game and has all like, I'll, I'll use an example. Rocket arena is a game I worked on previously is this EA game. It was a multiplayer shooter. I spent four years working on it and I did, uh, it was a really small team. There's like 30 to 50 people. And, um, perfect question. That that's exactly what, uh, uh Luke from XCP was asking around that. Like, Along those exact lines, Tyler, like something like Rocket Arena success versus something like Apex, how does that catch on? What's the, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, I missed the question. No oh, good, very play. It's exactly Why what you were just about to speak to. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think it comes to you know so many different things. It, it's like the state of gaming at the moment. Like, what are people playing and what are they excited about right now? Um, you know, uh, what other things are upcoming? And releasing um you know were you ahead of or behind the trends uh all yeah. these things are yeah are really there's just... an interesting fad component right because absolutely uh, the games can't be made at the same pace as fads rise and fall uh, which i think is, is kind of an interesting element because some games you look at them and you go well this is a weird game to put out like now in the in, in this economy um but you know they 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 take so long to um to make it's it's kind of no wonder why sometimes we see a little bit of like volatility and ups and downs and things coming back around to then be popular again like i remember when battlefield like games were like the most popular game type ever it was like oh yeah this is the future of gaming everything's going to be 400 players you know and then it kind of fell off and now we're kind of seeing it come back with this indie battle bit game so it's kind of kind of interesting to me yeah is you not only have to like hit the mark like on your actual like execution uh, and delivery of the game, but players have to be they have to want something new, right? They have to be receptive to like trying something new. Not only does it have to be good and hook them, they have to you know actually want to play it. If everyone's enamored with Elden Ring or whatever, they're never going to pay attention, right? Like you you're just not going to be able to make a splash. So I think that it, the success it's like it's maybe you will later on down the line, maybe you'll find a niche market, but I think it's really just is this this dynamic responsive thing that you have to do, which is like find where your niche is right now um, to try and find success maybe. And, and it, and maybe if you don't like it, you can like, see, it's weird because, you know, we're in a state where there's also like the, 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 the opinion, like there's a viewership economy in a way where it's like, you know, Twitch can decide whether your game's dead or not um, at their whim, you know, like just saying that a game is dead can lead to that in reality because who wants to play you know if if most most games still i think get uh picked up by new players via word of mouth via friends people in their lives that they know and trust the recommending things and they see it on tv and that reaffirms or wherever right um but when you see like a thing is dead everywhere and people are just in twitch chat like this game sucks game's dead dead on arrival whatever a lot of players aren't even to give it a chance and that what you really need is for people to give it a chance um, in a live service environment, I think. Um, and so like for a smaller game, that's what you, that's your success metric, I think, is you want to try to get people to give it, a, give your game a chance. And if you're unable to do so for reasons outside of your control, like at least try to ensure that your processes and your tools and, and your way of doing things um, uh, can grow so that you can, you can increase your chances next time. Like you take the, the development iteration to your sort of like your you know game ideas in the live service environment in that you know if this doesn't hit well sure but like take those systems and build on it and build better next time i, I look at rocket arena i think rocket arena was a stellar game to be honest there are so many features in that game that players ask for out I of like their bigger rocket games rocket that aren't it was super fun aren't there yeah. but it just for lots of reasons it you know may have fell short or whatever but 
the systems behind the game were really modern and, and really well built. And so um, I think that's like, even for that studio and though I'm not there anymore and I don't know what's going on. Um, I have no doubt that whatever, you know, final strike games makes next will have another good chance of success because they built really good tools and processes. The tech behind the game is, is probably years ahead of a lot of games that are out there today. Uh, and this game came out in 2020. Um, and, you know, just being able to take another chance. It's sort of like the, you know, the luck I said earlier about getting in the gaming industry. Uh, it's all luck, but you can maximize your, I guess, opportunities to roll the dice. And if you build a tech stack and processes and a team that's really effective at iterating, which is what you want to do in game development anyways, if you're able to get a game out there quickly, learn from it, implement that feedback, iterate, even if your game doesn't hit for reasons outside your control, you can just try again. And if your processes are good, your team's good, um, and you learn from you know, your past mistake, like I think it can still be a success even if players don't view it that way. Um, yeah. So I think the metrics will be different for every team. Um, you know, for a big game like Apex Legends, um, you know, success will be obviously defined differently. Um, yeah. You know, for a seem- game with a... Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, it almost seems like... Um- because you were talking about how uh, giving giving the game a chance is like a big part of whether you succeed or fail. And I've heard that from other developers and definitely not just live service developers, because especially if you're making like a small indie game or something like you, you kind of just have to get lucky. It has to catch on like a people going viral or whatever. And sometimes it is just a, a matter of luck. There, there's obviously ways to give yourselves advantages if you have a bigger budget or stuff like that. But sometimes, especially in the indie space, it is luck um the thing that i i find unique about live service games is a lot of them do get a chance and a lot of them do uh pop off as the kids say at at the at the at the outset they do uh they do pretty well and then the problem becomes um you know uh kind of a battle of attrition to keep players attention before they fall off because fads rise and fall and keeping a fad going as long as like an apex might right or at the point where it stops really feeling like a fad and and is just sort of a normal part of the ecosystem is uh kind of challenging to keep up with right like developers are constantly like chasing that the players want more content as soon as they've played your game and then they want new content as soon as they've played that it's really hard to to catch up with it um and I'm, i'm always interested in hearing like how teams organize themselves. I don't, I don't know how respawn is organized, but um, you know, some, some teams like uh, take Diablo, you know, they've got three teams. They've got the team that works on the yearly expansions. Uh, They've got uh, the team that works on the odd seasons and the team that works on the even seasons. All right. And so they're constantly kind of like creating the pipeline together and and, uh, separating. So I'm curious to, to uh, wonder like how, how do you deal with um, the, the constant, insatiable hunger of the the audience and and uh, and meeting their expectations um and how is your team organized around building live service and I, I just to add to that tyler too to that same point is to travis's point it feels like a lot of these games launch hit that success but then they really struggle in that ongoing delivery right like yeah. they just fall flat i mean we saw it with halo infinite we saw it with many titles like why is that with so i guess the question we always ask here is from the outside looking in you can see so many games struggle in that area right like you've launched well why weren't you more prepared to deliver more content more rapidly post-launch um and i guess we we just don't know the answer to that question so kind of a two-part question there if you your thoughts on it 
Yeah, totally. I think I think it's lots of stuff. Um, one, I can't really speak towards you know the the larger like respawn organization. Um, you know, I think. I can speak from my experience, obviously, in that one thing I think that really helps in the case of Apex Legends is that, uh, you know, the studio at least recognizes uh, how important the game is to players. Um, obviously, got you know, I can get into the live service part in, in a moment, but I think the studio is structured in a way that uh, is focused on long term or, or, or from my perspective, has uh, created an environment where long term success is 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 really personally viable um life service iteration is really fast development is very hard and it is exhausting um i would say that i almost describe like working in live service games as personally unsustainable um it is constant it really is like it, it never stops uh you know by the time you finish shipping one season you're literally transitioning to getting into the next sort of thing um and so i think that this that is a new type of approach to game development, this sort of like endurance or long distance race kind right. of feel, right? Where it's like, okay, we have to like sort of pace ourselves for the long term because you want to create a game that lasts, you know, I'm just saying in general for big games that, you know, uh, are ongoing, you know, lasts 10 years, for example. And um, you're never going to get that sprinting and I, and but i think for a long time game development has been this sort of like jog to a sprint to the finish line kind of thing and i think that maybe some studios and uh different teams uh have yet to necessarily like respond to like structuring their approach to do things with that context um I think that a lot of games, what ends up happening is you see teams sprinting to the finish line and they get to the finish line and they're exhausted but that's when the work starts in live service that's not like the the finish line in the same way that developing a game was before. You know, that's right. that's your first iteration pass, really. Um, and so I think that what may be happening with lots of teams is that fatigue builds, um, especially under situations like, you know, I don't want to like undershot or over, overlook like just the the environment for which games that we're playing now have been made too. you know, it's, it's in, un, in the context of COVID and a global pandemic too. Right. And, and economic instability, everyone's exhausted already. We all are. Um, and you add on top of that, the, this sort of like need to deliver people do treat games like it's life and death. And, you know, when I was in the military and I work in games now and it, it's not life and death. We have to remind ourselves all the time that we're yeah. making games like we're doing this for fun. Um, but what will happen is I think teams get exhausted. Um, folks get burnt out. And um, unless you're really, really prioritizing your team's health over the long term and your processes that guarantee or sort of prioritize long term success, like you're 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 at a disadvantage already. And I think that's a, a lesson that no one's teaching. Right. Because people are, are just learning it now. Right. Live service yeah, is so young that there's such a small number of people who have real experience like supporting a live service game for multiple years. Right. There's like such a small number of people and a lot of people who have done it, you know, I think probably have moved on because it is for some people like it's in, in, in not unless you're in the right environment, it can be unsustainable. So um, I, I think, yeah, a lot of it is recognizing that, yeah, you have to be able to respond quickly, even if players are really, really loving your game. Anything that you do for 40 hours a week, week after week, you're going to be able to spot the problems, the things that annoy you. Um, 
and so I think that no matter how good your game is, people are going to play it to a point that they get frustrated by something. Um, and then the more the people around them and the people they, they speak with are talking about and sharing and echoing these feelings, the bigger of a problem it's going to feel like. And so you, after launch, there's this, this, I think, this uh, balance of not only do you have to actually improve things and fix things, but you just have to reassure players uh, and your player base that you care about their experience and that you're doing something. Um, I think that that in of itself is a whole complicated topic, but yeah, it's, it's, if players don't feel like things are going to get better, like they're not going to keep playing your game. Right. Mm. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a big thing is that you have to, you have to be quick. You have to have velocity and fixing like the really impactful issues. And if those issues are systemic and, and fundamental to like the games technology and can't be fixed, I mean, that's a recipe for disaster, I think. So um, I think that's a lot of it is just making sure that, yeah, you, the priorities and the, of the issues that your players have flagged that you, you, ha you haven't resolved or you haven't responded to yet. Like you have to find a way to communicate to them that you are, and then you have to follow up on that. You can't just communicate and say we're on it and then spend six months of silence afterwards. Sure. You know, you have to take accountability, I think. And I'm not speaking of any, you know, anyone specific, of course, I'm just saying yeah. in general, like you have, to, you know, um, I think that that that's key and it's really hard, man. Like, uh, you know, like working on a game for, you know, multiple years and just like being like nose to the grindstone kind of feel and then being like, you ship it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, wait, actually, this is when the hard work starts, you know? Um, yeah, I think that I think that's that's just a lot of it is that the game, the gaming industry is not structured that way, right? Like it's very contractor heavy and there's this like transient flow and like ebb and flow to studio size based off of like ship date. And, and that's just not going to work in live service. You have to have like a core team who understand the game, the tech, the processes, right. And the issues or else you're never going to have that long-term success. And I just don't think studios have really like structured themselves, maybe not in my experience or at least or from what I understand around achieving that. Um, I think, I think that's a lot of it. Yeah. yeah it's it a fundamental change like, uh... to good. No, no, sorry, Tyler. I was going to say, yeah, th that's where I was going. Is it, it's it seems like a change to something that has been a a long term kind of standard in the industry. Uh, games have been de developed in X way, and now with live service delivery, they're shifting the Y way. But it feels like a slow turn, maybe for some studios, and they're not extremely well prepared. It also feels like um, this may be a, an issue that seems um, almost unique to the gaming industry. I was thinking about other kind of media as you were describing that problem and it's not like you know you spend three years developing a movie and you release your movie and then fans are like well that's it right you're not going back and you're you're not updating your movie post-release justice on... league <laughs> fair fair wow. um <laughs> the first live service movie maybe um <laughs> didn't but, didn't, um, in, uh, didn't return to the spider-verse get like audio updates mm -hmm. did, yeah. audio patch yeah. Uh -oh. Yeah, no, movie, movies, movies are in trouble. Get updates, and yeah, sometimes they get like uh, um, refreshes when they get released on like Blu-ray. Sure, but it's it's not the same. But the point sequels. being, is, is that a <laughs> sequels? But I guess it, live service Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, Harrison Ford and AI. Um, but I think uh, you know between the 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 amount of people working on it, the time investment and money investment, and then supporting that for years post-release is definitely kind of a unique struggle that seems like studios are still trying to feel figure out how to overcome that uh and, and the best process is to go along with that 
Yeah, True. It's, it's a problem. It's a problem that snowballs too. Like, say for example, you know, I think of when I joined uh, Respawn. You know, Apex is you know a uh, a legacy engine or you know, code base, and uh, you know it was already established game uh, when I joined. And uh, it took me probably, even though you know I know now that at the time I really knew my stuff. Like uh, I, you know, as the only person in my discipline on Rocket Arena, I shipped the game is like the only build engineer, you know, I did all the servers and the multiplayer stuff. And so, and, you know, we sh- shipped on origin. And so I was already familiar with a lot of EA's uh, tech. And so I joined, but it took me, it took me 18 months before I really, really felt confident because game dev is hard. Tech is hard and learning, you know, all of the different intricacies or edge cases or limitations of, of, any set of tools and, and how to do things well is going to take any professional like time. Um, yeah. So there's, you know, gaming is in a black box in a way that, you know, not everything really is. I mean, I guess you don't get insight into how, you know, Facebook codes their platform, but, you know, still like there's so much of this like uh, studio, tr- you know, knowledge and, and whatnot that it takes a lot of time to ramp even knowledgeable devs up so that when you lose folks for any reason say they're burnt out or say they're just ready to move on to another project or whatever reason um they're getting harassed like replacing that is going to take a long time not only do you have to find a person who has all the skill sets like hard and soft skills and 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 is a good fit for the actual role but then they have to like get up to speed they have to you know all that stuff and it takes time and you're you're looking at like a year lag time to replace an experienced dev and so yeah if if you're not thinking about that ahead of time or 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 have a retention plan to ensure that you're not losing folks or you make it easier to onboard people like a game can just slowly become more and more difficult to maintain or 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 ship and yeah so um Anyways, I'm trampling now, but no, no, you're fine. Um, I was going to say, which is also the problem I've heard about contracted employees, right? Because like once that contract is up and then trying to replace them, as you just described with someone that can pick up the knowledge and pick up the pieces of what that contractor had been working on for 12, 18, 24 months, uh, sounds like it, you know, be an extreme tr- struggle. Think, think, think about like all, all of your skills. Yeah. All of your skills transient, right? When you have a bunch of contractors, you know, like, mm-hmm. Imagine thinking about like your experience is just something that floats out the building. Yeah. Like, gone forever. It's crazy. Like what? Mm-hmm. Sorry, three yeah. for three. Stop. It. It's, I mean, it's an issue all over the place. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I definitely have been critical. I think of contracting policies in general. I would say that, yeah. you know, it, it, it sucks. Uh, a lot of my colleagues and stuff, I know that, you know, there are you know, friends that are even, I won't say colleagues like as in respond, but in the industry that are you know, extremely talented professionals, you know, they just, the contracting culture just gives them this lack of stability in their life that is just insane to me um it's absolutely absurd knowing how many like if you met these devs on the street and you're like oh my god you worked on all of those games and you don't have health insurance it's actually crazy um yeah these people like living like near austerity just so they can you know make the games that we all love as a games industry contractor myself i would like to say you know Contract work gets a bad rap sometimes uh, because it is a. Uh, it for me it's great and I choose to be a contractor because I get to make as much money Absolutely. as I'm willing to work for. But when you're working on a project that is as long term and as involved as making a video game, I do not think it makes 
any sense. I can be a contractor because I write one review or one article or do one report and then it's done, right? It takes like a week. But making a video game is a, what I would call a long-term commitment. And if you're contracting for that and all that knowledge base and and uh, like legacy kind of understanding of like the engine and the story and all that other stuff, I think contract work is like a terrible idea. So yeah, I'm with you there, man. It's funny seeing the, you know, the in juxtaposition to contracting in general tech, right? The, I don't know what it's like now, but I did contracting prior to working in the games for like DOD and stuff. Um, the, the common, I guess, accepted thing there was that like, generally you asked for one and a half times your like hourly rate if it, as if it was a full-time job. You know, this is how I approached it when I was contracting and it's the exact opposite for games. It's like, you're making half as much. Uh, so it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's so absurd because like contracting makes sense externally. You're out, you lack stability, but you get this upfront sort of benefit and you can work as much as you want, but you know, contracting in games, you're working 50, 60 hours a week and they're you're wringing you like a, a wet rag, um, you know, for hmm. half as much as your, as you know, even the contract you're under says you're worth right? Because there's a contracting agency who's accepting the actual full payment of that contract. And then they're negotiating with the, the dev for how much they profit they pull off of it. Right. So it's, it's like, it's just absurd. That's yeah, crazy. That's, that's, that's nuts. ridiculous. So wait a minute, where's the reward come in? Because everything you've described so far, I don't even know why life servers game exists at this point because nothing sounds good in the development part. You know, I mean, <laughs> so, like, like yeah. where do you personally get that reward from what you do? I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, well, so I am intimately tied to to shipping Apex Legends, which is for me personally is I love like why I love life service games. I just want to say just Apex. I like life service games because I'm a multiplayer guy, um, and I play games socially. Um, I like to go where my friends are, and I really don't care too much about the game. Is if I can shoot things and feel cracked, I'm cool, right? If I can socialize with my friends while doing it, I'm good. You know, um, so like having a long-term experience where I can have that, those sort of friends where I can play this multiplayer uh, experience with my friends who with low barrier to entry, they don't have to, you know, make a huge upfront cross cop, you know, purchase to get into the game. That's big for me. It's like a core part of my socializing. And then also working on it. I think that like, I see the value to both the community of these games that, you know, we support and I personally love them. And so just, being a part of making sure that they're still a thing and having some sort of like personal agency over, you know, um, the, the, not only just the outcome uh, of that thing, but also like ensuring that I get to represent or speak for those players and ensure that they're like, you know, the things that they think are important or are, are advocated for internally. That's what makes it to me, I think, uh, uh, worth it. Just being a part of shipping a game as big as Apex Legends on its own is the coolest thing in the world to me. Um, in that regard, and just like you know, playing it, I think live services we forget, right? You know, I look at a game like Halo Three and COD Four, which were insanely popular. Uh, you know, when I was a teenager, but you know, I don't have metrics or data that I can show to back this up. But like, really, the scale of how many people were playing that game is nothing like today. Right. Like, you know, it seems like everyone you knew was playing Halo 3 back in the day, but it's because everyone you knew was a 16 year old. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like and all the 16 so social year olds media. Playing Halo. Yeah. And 
and today it's not like that everyone's playing Apex Legends or Fortnite or whatever. Everyone, uh, everyone's mom knows who it is. Everyone's mom's sister knows who it is, what it is. Um, and so like, I think that the, just the value of, of that is really big because I think live service is key to those games getting that big. Um, I don't think that uh, multiplayer games would have, could have survived and, and stayed relevant as long in a different model uh, to the point to where they could be so at like Fortnite is <laughs> absurd, right? Like how, how big it is and how like in, inundated with popular culture it is. Right. I, I just yeah. don't think that, that, that merging of those two things like popular culture and gaming was possible without live service. Um, it keeps the games in the news constantly. Right. You know, like they're, they're always talking about the updates, the newest thing, like it, it just keeps it relevant and fresh in a way that we may or may not be for the better. Who knows? There, there's definitely like, you know, adverse effects of that as well. But um, I think that being able to work on something that so many people are, are aware of and have played or can recognize is something that is for me has only been capable via live service. And that makes it have value, I think. Um, and also like looking at games like Battle Right. Um, there's like a, a possibility for success in a, in a game, you know, like a smaller game that has um, sort of like a monetary structure that goes directly to the dev team um, that wasn't possible in, in the past, right? Like say you have a small team, you ship an indie game like on physical disc or on, or something like that, right? Or on Steam and a couple of people play it. Uh, you might make some money, you might make the development costs back. But if you can get your game on multiple platforms and players can get in your game, find the fun, and then they'll be able to necessarily like, and I, I know microtransactions are a bad thing uh, for lots of folks. I'm not necessarily like hyping them up, but um, for a dev team, like you can find a level of success that wasn't possible before too. Um, with, you know, and I, I think that that's, it's good. Small, agile teams finding success and being able to scale up what they do and make bigger, better games. I think that's a good thing. So, um, I don't know. That's that's where I find the value of live service. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I ramble yeah. a lot, so that's all right, man. It was just so. It was always everything was just so like, man, this is really hard. This is you know, like there was no light at the end of the tunnel. So that's that's <laughs> you know, glad that there is something like that for you guys and mm-hmm. people in your industry. So. Yeah, I and, and that, for what it's worth, I want to make sure it comes across like uh, too. Like I, I love my job, what I sure. do, like right now, um, and it, it feels sustainable. Um, I think live service on its own, if not done right, it it'll hurt you. Like I on Rocket Arena, I really burnt myself out. Um, I I put myself in the hospital, and I I didn't really, you know, it was it was pretty bad. Uh, and it's really easy to do like in a live service environment because everything feels critical. It feels, you know, like people make, you know, and maybe it is, um, but it's really hard to, people who make games really care about gamers, right? Like that's what they are. Uh, they've shaped their whole life around that thing. Um, and so it's really hard not to take feedback and criticism and whatnot and make it feel like the most important thing in the world. And it's really easy to burn yourself out as a result. We've heard similar stories from a lot of devs who have spoken out about that kind of stuff too, Tyler. It's like the their love and passion for gaming and their their entire kind of social structure being around gamers as they grew up is a big reason why they do it, you know. Um, and the struggles that come along with that seem seem kind of crazy when there is an industry that's making uh, that's as big and financially successful as it has been. You know, I think there's there's obviously work to be done in that space to translate those successes down to the developers who make these games. Uh, that we all love so much. So, 
All right, let's. Uh, I got super chats to get to, some additional questions there, but I want to put you on the spot, Tyler. Kind of give us a little uh, uh, break on um, you know some of the more serious stuff. So, just some rapid fire questions for you on oh, uh, no. gaming, on gaming history, things you like. Nothing crazy, nothing crazy. I just like to hear it. So, first things first, your favorite game of all time: single player, multiplayer. Travis yes. just left the building. Hey, let's like, Travis is dead. <laughs> got it, why, why would Travis be opposed to asking this question? Let me hear just your quick rapid fire question. <laughs> I say real, single real player. What's the this go through every game in history? It's really kind of just really quickly. Single player, Final Fantasy VI, multiplayer, Halo Two. See, Travis, Easy. it's not yeah. hard. It's not it. hard. It's crazy. You just name the game you love. It's not difficult. Yeah. I don't. Final Fantasy I, Six I, is a good choice. It is I a good choice. And Halo Two. I mean, I, just I think, Tyler's a part. I think he might Joe. break under cross examination. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I think Tyler is a permanent guest on the show now with Final yep. Fantasy Six and Halo Two as his answers because it doesn't get much better than that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think is the most overrated game of all time? Holy cow. That's, uh, <laughs> Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, <laughs> and he would that remain would be, on this that show. Would, that would be high on my list. Uh, <laughs> well, on ten is um, more overrated. I'll say Final Fantasy VII and Halo Three. Whoa! All right, he's yeah, permanently yeah. invited now. He's permanently invited on the show. <laughs> there, there couldn't have been a better win. answer in my book. Don't get me wrong. I love Halo Three. Halo Three. You don't 3, like Bloom? Yeah. You don't like Bloom? Come on, Tyler. It's the best, uh, dude. The seventy <laughs> FOV is timeless i mean why would you not want to always play <laughs> i love walking through molasses like that's just what it feels like running your partners <laughs> oh my god that's yeah, classic I mean, you threw me so off with that answer i didn't expect that that now like i'm trying to figure out where to go with this it's I weird see. like i'd throw i'd throw halo 3 in my like top 10 games of all time but I'll, also i think that it, and rightfully so for a lot of people it is the Fortnite of a generation and i i understand that very true I Very get true. why you invited Tyler on the show now. Yeah, way. yeah I'm just, very happy right now. He's, yeah. just, he's yeah. just a sycophant. I get it. No <laughs> um, what was I going to say? What's your favorite uh, kind of platform of all time? What's the one you had the most memories with? Pla- platformer? Yeah, console. Oh, um, oddly enough, I'm going to say PlayStation. Um, even though Halo is core to like everything, yeah, PlayStation is was my first console and, and the one I play the most today. Uh, PlayStation One, yes. Okay, that's nothing wrong with that. That one didn't have a number, Travis. Yeah, I know. I I had a PlayStation, <laughs> and I, and not the actual PlayStation One because there was a PlayStation One console. We didn't you know, call it was a little, little mini one. Yeah, we didn't call it World War One. We didn't at the time. Yeah. Were you alive during World War One? Is that what I'm learning? <laughs> Bro. Not that seasoned. Did you kill the Archduke? What, what am I learning about you this day? This is crazy. He said we didn't call it World War One. As, like uh, we, as a were you using the royal we to describe humanity? Was it what, what? Yes. Man. Yeah, like, no man has gone before. Okay, well, it's very. <laughs> <laughs> what's the uh, we called it World War? That's great. Um, what's the first game you played? Like, what's the first game you remember playing as a kid? I'm probably gonna embarrass myself by saying I don't know which one it was, whether it was Super Mario Bros. two or three, but it was on the NES uh, NES. Okay. The 
one of the Mario games. Uh, it was at my like grandma's house in her attic when I was like five or six. <laughs> Not her attic or upstairs game room. She had this, and I just uh, that was the first time I ever played a game. Played a game, yeah. That's awesome. Were you like fascinated That's- right away? Oh, absolutely. Like it, yeah. I just I grew up, you know, uh, I didn't have access to games and, and stuff as a kid, really. Like my, I got a PlayStation one when I was like seven for Christmas, but it was like my Christmas gift for three years. <laughs> my parents were, like, were making a deal. Um, <laughs> but like up until that point, I was just like this little fiend, like sort of like you see kids like these days. Like after I played that, I was just like, you got games in your phone, uh, <laughs> except for like a console upstairs. Like you got a game console I can play every house yeah. I went to. Wow. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, and then what's your what's the game you play most nowadays? Apex Legends. Apex, I figured, would be the, the standard answer. Let's say outside of Apex. That's really hard to answer. This is pretty much nothing else. I'm still uh, stuck on World War can I. I, say, I don't know about you can guys. Can I say Aim Lab? Can I say that? You it sounds really silly. You want. Yeah, this is a game on Steam that I play called Aim Lab that just helps you with like aiming with a mouse. I play that probably almost as much as Apex Legends. I played as just like a fun uh like to wake my brain up. I just like shoot like click on targets. Wow. Uh, I hadn't heard of that. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's got a bunch of different exercises. It helps you like first person shooter games. It's actually really cool. You can uh select your game and put your sensitivity input and it like re- replicates the feel of specific games like wow. Valorant, Apex, etc. Damn. That's cool. Hmm. All right. Okay. Let's get to some super chats. Travis, you got to move on from World War One, man. I can't, man. I can't deal with World War One. Yeah. The, Travis the, can't the, do rapid fire questions. We know this from experience. He he true. Like, you just need you just crumbles. need to have you need to have criteria, specific criteria to <laughs> we did. Tyler, I Better. once asked Travis, I said, oh. We're gonna like design our perfect game, right? Like just in your perfect world what would your perfect game be travis spent 15 minutes rambling about nonsensical things because he couldn't answer the question why, why he couldn't answer he did die yeah. on camera it was fun yeah. he did yeah it was it was interesting i don't remember it that way but <laughs> that's not what we called well, it our audience not, does that's not Internet what we called forgets. it back in the day okay that's true we have that yeah we have the recording royal do i have to pitch my perfect game now go for it can i skip that question oh no Oh, you don't have to. answer was no. Yeah, was, that's uh, a really long yeah, question. Not, I don't, so yeah, I don't know if the answer is. You don't know? Okay. Yeah. You can just yeah. I, I was hoping there wasn't the expectation. I was like, oh, God. Should I be just say about Apex right Legends again. And you're, you're <laughs> yeah, you, you Apex could be your default. Yes, we just go with that. Doing that, I would, <laughs> I would probably get harassed on the internet so much. Let's let out some. It doesn't matter what you say. Yeah. Yeah. Ho can, you know. He can help you deal with that. He's used to Apparently, it. Apparently, I'm the only one who can have a wrong answer on that question. Yes. Well, because your answer was no so answer. wrong. <laughs> it, it was next level wrong. So anyway, we're going to move on. Uh, shout out to a couple new channel members while I've been talking to so Sally Dragon and I had to look at the name. Banana Fana Fofarin on Hoag's channel. Thank you for becoming a channel member over there. Fatboy Horror, thank you for... Uh, Continue your membership on the season gaming side. Appreciate you. Google man came in before we started the show. I'm only now getting to the super chat with his random Google super chat. Dan, you want to hit these? Yeah, there we <laughs> go. Google man. I love you, man. All right. I'd like to once again, recommend the eye opening miniseries devs with Nick Offerman. I love Nick Offerman. Uh, the guy from <laughs> Axe cop also tried what Bukhari he's best known for. Axe yeah. cop. Yeah. Axe cop. Tastes good. 
That's sweat. I gotta not tell sweet. you, what? What's, what's Kari? Oh, I'm sorry. That's I gotta not tell sweet. You, devs, you want to talk about things that go off the rails? Yeah, that's devs. crazy. I've never heard of the show. Devs gets Kari sweat. Insane. Have y'all watched uh, Mythic Quest at all? A little bit. It's I've heard good things. It's not all like not everything that they represent about game development is like realistic like especially like their qa stuff and for sure but the jokes that they make and whatnot like it it is actually so well written uh i'm sure you know yeah you know unishek uh him and i watched that together and we loved that show we laughed so much at some of the jokes especially like the community ones uh the community manager and stuff it's they do it so well um it's really funny Okay. Uh, yes, yeah, I started it, but an, I'm only a few episodes in. Yeah, as an aside, they're also they have these like spinoff episodes that are in the show in the first and second season that are just like totally different cast, tells a different story. Fantastic. They're like little one shots. They're some of the best TV I've seen in recent years. Which, nice. Which show? Mythic, Mythic Quest. Quest. Oh, yeah. It's on Apple. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love Mythic Quest, man. It's really good, actually. I haven't seen the, the new season just came out too, I think. Not too long ago. Yeah uh googleman thank you uh gecko uh we might have touched on some of these while we were talking so we can just kind of you know yeah yeah uh gecko gamer thank you very much there is a lot of talk about the ever-increasing complexity at the same time a lot of game development has become more accessible uh has the latter contributed to the former by making uh lower level development harder so if i think what they're asking is like I would say that that yeah, like the increasing complexity of game dev has makes it hard in, in some cases or or even like rare cases. But I do think also like things like Unreal Engine, for example, really lower the or the floor for folks getting out there and creating high fidelity games. So I would say that while games have gotten harder to make at AAA, uh, especially in the multiplayer scope and scale, overall games have gotten easier to make uh, in general. Like you know you know any one of us could pull an engine off you know download an engine or install it online and and make a game if we wanted right now and now we couldn't necessarily ship it to someone or or necessarily make a good game but i do think that um if you want to get together a studio and gather a couple experienced devs especially using like a unified or common like tool like unreal engine or something and make something that looks triple a like that's way easier for sure um, or or taking a small competent team and making something that is on par with uh, you know a triple A game, it, yeah, that's definitely within the realm of possibility. I think it also contributes to some of the discourse around triple A in indie games these days. Anyways, is that like pe- folks look at something and they're like, oh, like a dev team of four people made this. How come a hundred people can't make something <laughs> you know right. like profoundly better? And it's well, like the complexity comes from hundreds of people working together on this single thing right like uh a smaller number of team is agile and easier and capable of things in more ways right like uh small teams are really effective um but you do things that aren't scalable yeah exactly um so i would say that yeah it's a complex topic because both are true for sure yeah that's cool gecko thank you don lionheart back in the house Don, uh, with the five dollar super chat. Hi, friends. Love seeing interviews on here. Keep up the great work. P.S. There's a lot of Tyler Owens's out there when you Google the name. <laughs> just a mediocre just white dude. Tyler Come Owens. Lots of us. Tyler Owens respawn will get you to his LinkedIn. I yeah, he's helps. a really 
cringy username pretty much everywhere. That's my old Halo alias. The hatred is a pretty easy way to find me, but it's it's yeah. it's really edgy and cringy. So it's from nice. like 2005. It can't oh, be yeah. worse than Porsche Power. So yeah, this is true. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, yeah. that's very you fair. Know, I'm not gonna lie. I should have, but I've really never even made like read it completely different in my head. So. Porsche. Was it Porsche? Because that's what I, I call them. People have I called me. Thought, they've yeah. asked if I'm a poor shopper, and I'm like, no, I'm not a poor shopper. That's not what that is. Uh, well, I hope it has to do with uh, the the cars, because I am yes, a Porsche fanatic. Nice. Literally shopping. Literally. Have we just become so best friends? True. We did. We're becoming best friends during the it's show. I so obnoxious, the guests you choose. I just... <laughs> oh, my God. All right. I'm going to mute Travis now and leave Tyler on. So we'll have a great show. It'll be perfect. Hilarious. Oh, man. <laughs> He's just aims with um, hair. <laughs> that's very fair very fair uh mr pompa in the house oh pompa with the 20 dollars. thank you very much sir uh always enjoy tyler on twitter a question i hear on live service is there's blueprints out there of successful live service games i ask this question all the time why do live yeah, we service just games touched... seem to struggle in the beginning yeah we touched on this a bit so you yeah. kind of already answered this i don't know if there's anything else we want to kind of comment on that piece yeah I, I i really just think the large part is that you know so many people are trying to get to the finish line and get that game out there um that you know either things outside of their control right or market uh you know the economy as it is uh or just not iterating fast enough and being able to resolve those big big issues yeah, yeah. is it, there say it's it's, i don't know we have limited time but it's you know i think it's interesting because you know it's not only do you have to make good games but you you have to really be able to interpret feedback really effectively and translate that into like solutions and then get those solutions to people quick and those are all like separate skills you know um that's one of the things i was going to ask is like i can only imagine especially for like community managers and people trying to unishek's a good example right (laughs) because the halo community is nothing if not vocal um about and they all want different things right um and it's like how do you curate that type of feedback across so many different social media platforms right that people voice their displeasure on and then bring that in a kind of meaningful way to a development team and prioritize what that looks like what should get fixed what is just people complaining that you're not going to change because it's part of the game all those different things i I can only imagine the level of uh, undertaking that is yeah, it's that's why I really what I think, you know, we all we all want the same thing, developers and players. We want the best games possible. And player feedback is so 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 valuable. I mean, it's it's crucial. Like it's it's absolutely necessary. Like a game is like it's a core part of making a game. Like the iteration cycle is, you know, design idea, you make it, you give it to a player via playtest, get feedback, make changes. Um so like I think that is game development um but the thing is is that like it's a it's a cooperative process right um and so if i think it's really important because players can improve the impact they have on a game by improving the quality of their feedback um it provides the team the ability to action on more specific things without having to interpret to guess um you know like because that's what a lot of it is sometimes somebody's like i 
I, I hate this. This is the worst thing I've ever done in my life, but they're playing it still every day. Like, like how do you interpret that? Right. Because <laughs> they say they hate it, but they're still doing it. Um, and, and so like, they're speaking of something that's true, right. They're, they're making them feel that way. Uh, but also it's not enough to make them stop playing the game. So it, it's like, you know, there's a big difference between, you know, like you hear smart all the time. I don't remember the acronym, but like ha- making feedback that's actionable. It's like huge, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, or saying how you feel is huge. Like saying this game's dog shit, excuse my language or, or whatever is not super helpful, but, but saying like this game doesn't make me feel fulfilling. It doesn't make me feel good. It frustrates me or I dislike this is hugely impactful um, and hugely helpful or they should have done this. That's not actionable at all. Do you know what I mean? And so like people have to interpret, go, well, well what do they really want? Like, and how can we uh, achieve like an outcome that, you know, Im- Im- reduces this friction without, building a time machine and changing the past. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. It's found that, Travis, it's what you joke with Destiny about a lot. And it's like people will say, you know, they hate this, 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 this about Destiny and they have 4,000 hours in it. It's like, yeah, I mean, well. that's Travis himself. That, that's Travis himself as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I do yeah, it I for do work, t- but some people do it for to themselves <laughs> for no particular reason. But yeah, I, I mean, I see that. I, he was talking about a dead <clears throat> game earlier, which I think that that is... Bungie's catchphrase at this point for Destiny, this dead <laughs> game that they've been hanging their hat on that for a while. Um, I, th- I think that might have originated with that game, honestly, because they were one of the first live services. Um, and, uh, you know, people commenting like trash. And I think as a critic, sometimes um, people assume that I'm part of that crowd or part of the problem because I occasionally give games bad reviews, but there's a constructive way to do it, right? I've I've Absolutely. never called games trash or garbage or some of the things that people do and in fact call people out when they do it because it offends me um i i do not think Folks, any i'm going to word trash. search on all travis articles for trash and garbage <laughs> please do I, don't get me wrong like, not find them, i guarantee you one of my most used phrases while playing apex legends is who makes this game whenever i run into an issue i'm like who makes this game but that's like in the moment you know like just and also just joking too like i get it like to being like i've said that something's you know shit or whatever but like i obviously would never do it's not useful you know what i mean like if i want to make this thing better oh no and i'm I'm, had it you know how does that how does that contribute i'm just making fun with travis travis i think primarily organizes his reviews around getting to pun headings that's basically <laughs> it. I mean, hold on for a second. Before you go any further, Travis's puns are Having normally a is like next level. Yeah. Travis's like, puns are fantastic. Fantastic. But I mean, yeah. They're, they're, they're thought out. Well things done. towards the puns. Yeah. 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 Right. He doesn't get lazy with his puns, like a Redfall review with, you know, took a really big bite out of that, you know, or, you know, <laughs> really up the stakes. You know, Travis, yeah. is, he, he takes some really good ones. I'll my favorite. If, if I can for a moment tell you my favorite one that I've ever done was um, Borderlands 3. I reviewed the uh, expansion for it, which was um, a um, Lovecraftian horror. It had like, you know, the tentacle monsters. And it was also a wedding between yeah. two of the characters, uh, yeah. Hammerlock and, and the other guy that got married. Um, yep. And my title for the review was My Tentacle Romance. That's amazing. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> I remember you talking about uh, that when you did it. Uh, that was, that was my favorite. And one. I bet you worked a Black Parade reference in somewhere. Obviously, I, I clearly know what that is. <laughs> it's to do with World War One. You wouldn't get it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't there for that. 
<laughs> sorry. sorry, I wasn't there. I wasn't there for uh, our our uh, our regular pangendrum here, Hogue, hanging out in World War One, and yeah, it's good. I never time. expected you know, history to... books exist. I wasn't there yeah. for the Pillars of the Earth either, but I know the story. But you know what they called it. I know <laughs> that's like a very live like, 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 look, look, you can look it up in a book, but it's called world war one there. It's like, you said it like it was a first person account. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, we didn't call it that. That's the difference though. <laughs> you know, we're going to celebrate independence day. I wasn't there either. <laughs> did, they, did they call it Independence Day when it happened, or were you not alive? For about, you know I mean? <laughs> All right, hold on. I got a couple more super chats to get to from Mr. Gecko Gamer. Ah, Gecko Tyler. Gamer. Ah, have you ever played Ultra Kill, Tyler? I, ha I have not, unfortunately. I feel I don't even know what that is. Yeah, is, is that the card shooter? Is it the shooter with it? Like I, I think it. Maybe that's Ultra, Ultra White. Mm. I don't know. I, I know the name. I have not played it, unfortunately. Mm. Never. Yeah. If it's recommended, I definitely will check it out. Though. Yeah, Gecko, don't super chat again because you've been too generous. Just go ahead, throw it in the chat, and I'll call out what is Ultra Kill. And uh, Gecko had another super chat as well. Ultra Kill. Ultra Kill. I can, yeah, I think of Unreal Tournament oh, God, yelling Ultra Kill. Uh, another question for Tyler. Do you know why gamers no longer use Xbox Live or the platform equivalent for voice chat? Um, I don't know, you know their official reasoning but I, I can only assume that it's it's likely for supporting multi-platform games um largely uh generally lots of games will use like an intermediate chat service or make their own chat service that hooks into these other ones uh and so like that has become a really common sort of like intermediate service between different platforms and so it sort of makes the you know an xbox equivalent obsolete which ties to the discord um, integration as well right like more recently on the yeah, Xbox side. Anyway. Very likely, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, perfect. Uh, by the way, uh, Elu says Ultra Kill is a Doom-style game, so I'm guessing like an old-school uh, Yes. Sounds like the kind of stuff I'd be into. I really loved that Metal Hellsinger, if anyone played that. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. A good one. And that game was amazing. Very cool. And uh, what's the uh, Space Marine one that just came out, or the Warhammer? Uh, Bolt Gun? Oh, yeah. I was Bolt supposed gun. to review that. Um, Bolts? Yeah. Bolt, Bolt, Bolt Gun. gun. Yeah. Bolt Gun, yeah. Yeah, I still haven't I still haven't played it, but I've heard great things about it. <clears throat> um, thank you for the super chats, guys. Boomer shooters now. Boomer shooters. Oh god. Boomer shooters. Uh, Midnight Jury, thank you for gifted memberships on both channels. Appreciate you all. And we just, as I said that, we got another super chat. So let me get to this one. Pompa back again. Man, that's fast. Uh, ah, oh, five dollar Pompa's back. Tyler, what oh. HCS teams impress you? Oh, and Lord. who do you? Yes. Guess is the best player in By the way, uh, Tyler, Pompa is my Halo kind of uh, yes, partner. Is. We're the ones that play Halo together ah, okay. much every day. And uh, we play from Twitter. Yeah, we play. Uh, we were at Worlds together and we play all the time. So we've, we've been obviously been talking about <laughs> around ACS. Yeah. I'm taking Tyler. Okay, let it or Travis, let it go. Um, but uh, yeah, we were talking about this last night with HCS. Uh, there's a major going on this weekend. So. Um, yeah, is yeah. That I, uh, Halo Championship Series. Yes, that's, Halo Championship that's, Series. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have not been paying attention to the Dallas. So I think it's the Optic Open that's going on right yes. now. Um, I haven't been able to keep up, so I know like some team changes uh, uh, have yeah. happened recently. Um, historically, I've been a big fan of Cloud Nine, uh, but I do think that 
best player in the HCS. That's be a toss up. It's hard not to say lucid. Um, dude's just a- absolutely insane. Um, but also it's funny. So I would say like HCS teams impress me. Optics absolutely just insane. Uh, I don't know how they're doing right now, but. Funny enough, uh, la- late last night, they got upset by the French quadrant team by one kill and they are gone. So they're not even playing wow. today. Not even surprised. Quadrants, quadrants sick. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would say like, I think that whole team impresses me. Um, best players are like folks like Trippy, APG, Lucid are all on my list. Like of like top <laughs> players. So, yeah. 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 Formal's been around. I mean, he's, yeah. So cool. Thank yeah, you. Papa, I, thank you. I have unfortunately had the pleasure of playing against Formal on land and Halo Reach and got absolutely stomped. <laughs> I've always, uh, we joke, one of the things we joke about a lot is like, um, is it would be fun to get a team together and just play against Optic, right? Just, to, just you know, you'd get absolutely destroyed. You'd be lucky to even get anything at all, but it'd be fun just to experience it, just to see what it's like playing against that competition. Um, because yeah. it is like, people don't realize the gap in skill between those top teams in these games versus normal, even really, really good players. You don't stand a chance. Absolutely. I think uh, even as like somebody who considers himself pretty good and historically like Halo player, FPS player, I think, and I've been on good teams with people who are now or have been pros in the past and just playing against a top team like that too. It's not even a matter of playing against them. It's playing against them when they're actually trying to, because like the the funny thing is, is like um, there's a huge, huge difference between, players of that caliber just casually playing the game and then actually trying because they have to against another top team. Like the way they they might play against, you know, like a top 32 team versus another top four teams, even drastically different um, yeah. in reality. Like it's, yeah, yeah. be a fun experience, cool. no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, get beat 50 to one and be happy with the one, you know what I mean? Um, maybe. <laughs> maybe, yeah. There, there is one more question I want to ask you on um, just about work uh, uh development because uh we've talked about it a lot here i know uh travis has brought it up a lot and that's really about working from home uh mm-hmm. in terms of game development so you know we've heard a lot in the game industry about when COVID hit and all these companies that really weren't prepared to go work from home and remotely right and how that kind of um really delayed games extensively in some cases depending on the studio but I know you've also been pretty vocal about on Twitter about working from home, your experience with it, how Respawn handles it. And I, I realize you obviously can't speak for the hundreds or thousands of studios that manage things differently. But just your experience around what that's like trying to develop in a collaborative environment, typically in game development, now working basically remotely and, you know, what your what your thoughts are on that overall. Um, well, so I will say first, first and foremost, it's, it's definitely harder. Um, working from home requires way more of both the organization and the, the developers. I think, um, even for me personally, I, I, it took a lot of growth for me to become an effective person to work from home, a lot of discipline to consistently be able to do my work. Like it's so easy to be distracted and whatnot. But the thing is, I think it actually benefits both me personally and even the organization. Um, I think that, um, a lot of studios lean on the in-house uh, for both their processes and technology in a way that um, can be detrimental, I think, in my opinion. Um, so for example, like lots of studios technology, they leverage a lot of like local network in their tools, right? Using a fast, you know, LAN network um, 
to, to do certain things. And when you then try to perform the same workflow over a, you know, network connection, remote connection, it, that suddenly becomes a no, comes, runs into issues or maybe not be a stable or, or even a viable workflow. And so a lot of studios leverage that really heavily. And so there are benefits in, in ways that like, some things are more simple. Um, you can put resources internally in your studio and then have them fast and accessible for anyone who's in the building. Um, it's also easier to secure and all this. So there's like all these reasons why in office is easier for lots of people. But the thing is, in my, go ahead. Sorry, just, just one point on that that I've heard and, and whether or not that's true. Speaking along the internal LAN and kind of the server network that you can do to, I've heard that's really important with like file exchange. So, for Absolutely. instance, if you're trying to, you know, upload like a, a large file, which would have been damn near instant internally, right? Trying to do that over someone who's maybe on a less than ideal broadband connection at home is near impossible or it can take days, whereas it used to take minutes yeah. or hours. It, it right? actually Absolutely. took uh, it took IGN about three years to finally uh, recreate the internal file sharing server that we had at the office, because when the office went away after COVID, everybody was just sort of like using Google Drive and different disparate systems and it was really not working out and we finally got a solution. So I'm on the new like, you know, remote server and it's it's fantastic, but it took a really, really long time for us to even get parity with what we had in the office. Yeah. And I imagine it's a lot more expensive because it's not just like running wires and uh, hooking up a server in a closet, a black box somewhere. It's like, you know, you have to pay for probably a subscription service and hosted cloud yeah. servers and Business all this internet and hosted yeah, so yeah, yeah. Space, exactly yeah yeah like yeah. think about the the difference between like say you have 10 qa of folks in a small studio or something and and there's like a build you know like a, a build like a dev build may say for you know be 60 to 100 gigs or something uh for a fairly large multiplayer game and so you've got 10 devs who have to copy over a local network, you know, that many files to their machine, right? Now move those machines outside of the building. Like, I don't know how much people know about, you know, just internet technology, but now you have 10 devs all over the United States who have to copy the same amount of files over an internet connection that that uh, may differ vastly between the two of them. One may have a gigabit connection, somebody may not. And so I think these implement problem or introduce problems in the development cycle that are actually really helpful because these also represent the relationship to your players. Your players are downloading these big builds too over connections that may or may not be good. And, and so I think a lot of the benefit actually comes in that if your organization commits to, you know, especially when you're making a multiplayer game or a large scale distributed game, um, if you commit to principles that like keep this in mind, you're going to end up with systems that can consistently deliver um, updates at a regular cadence to your players too. Um, I think that, you know, when you don't ever run into these like sort of problems with, okay, like, well, let's think about our patching solution. We really have to make sure that our patches are as small as possible. So we have to be smart about what we're putting in there and very, you know, deliberate because our players have to download a 60 gig update, right? Um, right. That's something that now your developers feel in internally too right like i so i think that in lot in lots of ways this actually prepares us better for live service environment because you know the distributed nature with which we're working more closely resembles the live production environment oh, interesting. um and so i think like you it is harder it, it is you, you have to be more strict no doubt um it requires more deliberate work to make it work but um if you do it well i think that it's easier to develop and ship games to players um because like i said the way that you're developing internally follows a similar model uh, and there are technology solutions to those to those things and i think there's also benefits to you know folks like me like 
you know, I work from home is really important to me. I, I suffer from really pretty bad panic attacks and social anxiety. Um, and, you know, to be fully transparent, like, you know, I'm an army veteran and I deal with, you know, PTSD and mental health related stuff. It's really hard to deal with that in, in a public environment. I feel way more better like coping or, or, or soothing or doing whatever I need to do in my personal space, but I can also be effective and use my skills professionally. And I want to work on games. Um, you know, so there's like a whole slew of developers just like me who have experience to, who, um, are able to do better work because, you know, this, this environment accommodates that. Um, and, you know, working in a studio, I'm very easily distracted. And a lot of times for a long time, I would go to the studio, I'd do the eight hours I needed to be there. And then I'd go and do the actual work that I'd planned for the day because now I have peace and quiet and wasn't distracted by a million different things. Um, and I have a much better work-life balance and, and overall health because of, uh, that. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's great both for, uh, teams retaining talent too, because there's a lot of people that like, you know, don't want to move across the country every time they get a new studio job. So, uh, I think there are lots of benefits both to the players and the developers. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I've, I've heard kind of mixed things because a lot of the people I know are either on like the creative side where they're like writing a story or on the game design side where it's like the, the lag in communication time doing things remotely or rather than tapping tapping somebody on the shoulder or getting everybody in a conference room and hashing it out on a whiteboard it's like you're slacking someone and then they're going okay put it on my calendar and then you're meeting on zoom and it just slows the process down a lot and so there's a lot of people in the the game development uh, sector that i've talked to who are like you know working from home is a nightmare (laughs) it makes everything take 10 times as long and all that and they're frustrated by it so i think there are definitely disciplines where that's true in fact, like I absolutely agree. Like I think if I were working in production or design, like it would be way harder to to, to work because it there is this like real time feedback that that is really valuable. Um, so no doubt, I think finding uh, a structure that allows teams, individual teams, not entire studio teams, to work in a way that accommodates them is super important. And that's what Respawn does. Like for example, yeah. my team, um, we have like 10 developer, like software engineers on the build and release team for Apex. And we are all over the United States and, and Canada. We have people from Montreal, uh, North Carolina to Vancouver, California, Washington. We're all yeah. over the place. Yeah, uh, and we have production so, teams that are LA based. Right? Yeah. So I think we the, have, the one, one size fits all model previously didn't, doesn't really make a lot of sense, but yeah, um, yeah I think, you know, it varies from team to team. There's some teams where I think remote is really the only thing that makes sense and it sounds like your guys' team's benefited from it in a ton of other ways so it's cool yeah luckily luckily being a part of ea they have like a larger global structure you know that makes it possible and made that infrastructure easier smaller studios aren't going to be able to do that you know and yeah and uh so yeah yeah, i think it's it's not a one-size-fits-all solution but for me i think it's it's something that you should have on the table no doubt for specific people in specific roles um except the ori and the blind forest studio they're the only ones who seem to be small and <laughs> remote and i don't know how they do that but it's crazy i actually met the le- leadership team from that studio because my old roommate was their community manager for ori and so i oh, went really? to la and at the e3 and hung out with like the founder nice. and got to meet with them and talk to them about like their principles the studio they yeah uh actually even re- resulted in me getting one of the connections the guy uh, i can't remember his name's matthew he now works on jedi survivor at respawn because he reached out oh, after nice. that connection it was like hey what's the feeling respawn <laughs> uh, small story that's awesome Cool. Small world. Yeah, it all goes back to the whole connection thing we talked about, right? No one, no one. Absolutely. So, 
Um, well, man, your insight's been fantastic, Tyler. Thank you so much. I think, um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna move on to uh, let Hogue talk a little bit uh, with his insight around FTC versus Microsoft. Uh, the you know we had a couple days of that this week, and you know more revelations, if you will, from Wasn't inside. Wasn't that there. fun getting to see the whole game industry determine how injunction rules should work in the federal? Yeah, program? and everyone knows what's gonna happen, Hogue. Yes, um, I that. <laughs> it was fun. Uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed the back half of that because you know it, there's a lot of prep work and like oh they're asking like super basic questions and stuff like that like what is a live service game and what what is a MMO and all the stuff but then they got to like the yeah, actual the argument meet yeah yeah setting the record yeah there's a lot of record setting I think and then they got to. Yeah. Uh, the fun part, like I thought closing arguments was just like so much fun. I was like, dude, if law was all this, <laughs> like that would be what I would be interested in. Cause it was just straight up open debate pretty much with the judge just grilling everyone. And it was really down to Travis earth. Travis just so parachutes like, yeah. in for opening and closing. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was cool. It's all the depots and all the work that actually gets the record. Made. Yeah, it was, it was way more fun than the, the that rest sounds of about the right. stuff. Um, cool. Let me uh, let me out. Go ahead and outro Tyler here, guys, uh, so we can uh, talk on the FTC. He's got to run. Tyler, man, thank you so much. Uh, I, I won't call you Ains with hair, but you do have a permanent addition uh, or, or welcome invite to the show. If I have to remove Travis or something, it's fine. We can do that. Don't worry about it. You can just take it. Should I wear a tie? <laughs> tie guy Tyler. Well, you could. You could. Tie, tie guy Tyler. There. You go. That even sounds oh, better. See, it already works better. <laughs> <laughs> Travis is not amused at this conversation, by the way. Uh, but no, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been an absolute yeah, pleasure having you. I know we've been talking for a long time about this, so I was glad we could finally do it. And your insight uh, and the conversation today is super appreciative. So thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate yeah, of course. you, man. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Thanks for having me. I love, uh, you know, opportunity to talk about games. Uh, this is sort of a new thing for me. Uh, I haven't really done a format like this before, so I appreciate y'all like letting me go, go through the motions. And uh, uh, yeah, like awesome discussion. I could talk about games and for we appreciate ever. ea letting you so yeah yeah, yeah big time me too yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it took longer than you think <laughs> yeah, it's always it's always been a stressful thing but it's it's really cool to get that sort of support uh from from the org to go out there and because you know devs want to do it and gamers want and players want to hear right so yeah yeah no it's awesome it's man. so i'll put all your contact information in the description i'll be in touch with you of course and uh just thank you again man really appreciate yeah thank it. you guys so much I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Have a good one, buddy. Yes. All right, boys. Now we got to talk about Uh, how much Travis likes the legal process. Just (laughs) part of it. Just one specific part of it. We're we're kind of, you know, the the pageantry and kind of the structure fell away, and they were just hashing stuff out. I liked that part. That was cool. I get to move people around. Bear with me here. There we go. Hey, we're back to our old school. Now I can can argue with Hogue again. He's yeah. We haven't done this in like a month. Fighting right, pit. Fighting pit. There you go. Let's go. I don't think you're going to fight with me. I mean, I, I think I the, think the so. one most important thing I would communicate on the closing arguments and what you might see reported on the internet, on Twitter, if it's on for you, if it's working, or otherwise from other shows that maybe aren't as good as ours, is this notion that you can interpret what the judge said as questions and then know exactly what the opinion is going to be at the end of the day. That is not the way these things work. And what I would caution people, and I I do have a Twitter thread about this, most specifically is that judges can ask questions to set the record. They can ask questions to play devil's advocate. They can ask questions 
just because they think the one side isn't doing what they should be doing. But mm -hmm. while it might sound one way or the other in terms of the questions asked, and there's, it is certainly the case that the judge had many more questions for the FTC than Microsoft during the closing arguments, we can interpret those things. But if it comes around as the opposite of what you think is going to happen in the opinion, it's probably because they, the judge didn't have as many concerns about the other side of the equation, right? So when we think about uh, a hearing like this one, just understand that whether it's me or someone else telling you what they think of a case, legal analysis or otherwise, there are no guarantees on any of this. And what we're talking about is reading the mind of one specific person who is going to be thinking about this topic for the long weekend and beyond while they write up a document to, to explain whether they grant a preliminary injunction or not. Mm -hmm. Which may have already been written, right? A lot of judges do that. They kind of write a lot of their thoughts. Or they have I, their I, doubt, I doubt that the determination was made before those that closing, but yeah. they definitely also, have been working on things. My understanding is sometimes when a judge seems like they're being harder on one side of the house, it's because uh, they already kind of know what the outcome is going to be and they're trying to like not make it appear like they went easy on the the opposite side right they're trying to like vet for it so that that way if somebody tried to appeal they'd be like look i nobody could say i was you know was biased to you because i went super hard on on you during the actual uh in, in court right well Stuff and the like appeal that. question is interesting like everybody says well this is, is appealable isn't it and it's like yes but what we're talking about is an equitable determination right this isn't something that is a, a question of law realistically, unless they just write the opinion completely wrong. So the appeals court is going to have a limited impact in this particular instance, because the law says, judge, you go think about whether you think this side could win the FTC. And if they could, who it'll hurt or help in the public, Microsoft, Activision and the FTC for granting or not granting the preliminary injunction. And then you're going to balance those things in your head and come out with a determination and you're going to write what your thought process was. And unless you're crazy and you write something that's completely off book and doesn't match even what I just described, the appeals court is going to be limited to, yeah, okay, that's the discretion of the court. It is not the kind of thing that an appeals court is likely to change. This is a preliminary injunction. Yeah. So what we've got here is a determination. I saw some people in the chat asking when it's likely to come down. Shortly after the 4th of July, 5th, 6th, or 7th is what I would yeah, expect. be my guess. Um, and when they make this determination... Uh, they're going to have an opinion that goes with it, and it's going to say things like, here are the relevant markets, and it does sound like the judge is amenable to the cloud being relevant market, which is not something I would grant, but it does put Microsoft on the back foot on that question, and is going to explain the relevant markets and whether or not they think the Federal Trade Commission can make a merits-based case, ultimately, to block the deal in a federal court, and they're going to determine whether or not Microsoft or Activision or the FTC would be hurt more or helped more by the granting or not granting respectively. So that Sorry. document is going to be important at the end of the day, but there are there, there's a wildly different approach to a court that says, Oh yeah, the federal trade commission has a slam dunk here granted. And uh, there's some weaknesses in the case. And I'm not really sure about this market and how it'll be affected by Activision content, but in the interest and abundance of caution, 
the court is going to determine to maintain the status quo by preventing the deal from going through. Like those are two different documents, right? Yep. And and they have the same outcome. So the report on IGN or GameSpot or wherever can still say Microsoft wins, Microsoft loses, whatever. But the opinion is going to matter. The rationality is going to matter. You're, you're not going to say that. I, I think you're going to report on this ultimately. Oh, we reported on it, but we didn't. We didn't. Uh claim that one side was going to win or not we talked oh, about i meant after happens that, that you can actually yeah, yeah. you'll describe it one way or the other but sure. um but like that's what i really wanted to communicate and you can see me tweeting throughout the the closing arguments especially when the judge was really much more active but it was great i think that there's a lot happening in this case that a lot of people are very self-interested in for one reason or another and are guaranteeing to you that one thing is going to happen or not and Which i'm telling different. you I'm telling you, there is a broad swath of totally legitimate legal determinations that go both directions, which means that totally. what you're trying to do is read the mind of a single federal judge. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to I have an opinion on something that Connor asked about this, which was, was it a strategy by the FTC to spend so much time arguing over the weakest part of their case in console and leave the cloud part pretty murky and unclear? So I was actually thinking about this this weekend, and I do agree the console is the weakest argument because of how narrowly they have to define that market to make it seem like an antitrust issue, right? They have to get rid of Switch and PC, and it has to be US only and all that other stuff. My theory about why they focused on that instead of cloud, which I think cloud is a much better argument, is because my understanding is that uh, in order for a preliminary injunction to be granted, it has to have uh, like immediate and irreparable harm. And I think that is no. very, very hard to argue on the cloud side, right? So. so the standards for preliminary injunction, which you're probably picking up from more normal course litigations has an irreparable harm component, has that immediacy component. The FTC is empowered by the Federal Trade Act. So basically, they're allowed to go and ask for a preliminary injunction if they can say that the public interest would be best served by granting a preliminary injunction. Right. Which, okay. Which means so it's you're, a balancing lower the equities, you're balancing the equities where you can drag in a lot of the other concepts in preliminary injunction law, like irreparability and immediacy, if you're so inclined, but the judge doesn't have to, you're balancing the equities of the two sides. And then you're basically saying it's in the public interest to grant because, because it did, it did seem like they were talking about immediacy because every time cloud came up, Microsoft was like, dude, this technology isn't going to be a thing for a long while. Like they were kind of leaning on the immediacy of it. Right. Well, Microsoft is focusing on saying it's not a market, right? Yeah. So the, 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 the preliminary threshold the FTC has to meet is that there's a relevant market at issue here. So they said consoles and they said game subscription services and they said cloud and cloud has always been a rough argument to actually say is an economic relevant market for antitrust law. And Microsoft says, uh, this, this thing here is a wisp. We don't know. Yeah. The, it's FTC a feature. Says, the yeah. FTC says you've invested billions. And every time you talk about it in a show, you say it's the future of gaming. Microsoft yep. says, yeah, well, you know, puffery, right? We're hoping, we're hoping <laughs> that it will be. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I, but I do, I do think the cloud argument is actually pretty good. I thought the FTC's best moment during the uh, closing argument was when uh, they, the judge said, "Okay, but but why would you be worried about the cloud when Microsoft is signing all of these deals?" And uh, the the FTC said uh, something along the lines of, "Well, that was really nice of them to choose which of their competitors they get to participate, right?" Because I think there is an argument there, right, that that Microsoft isn't make, agreeing to make Call of Duty available on the Amazon Luna uh, or on Google's, you know, whatever their platform will probably be in the future, a cloud platform, because. 
uh, I think that that's an argument, right? That that you're choosing your competitors and kind of choosing who's going to get to be a viable option in the market by guaranteeing Call of Duty on their platform. I, th I thought that was a good moment, um, and the FTC didn't pursue it, and that that perplexed me a little bit that they were so focused on console, they really thought that was a winner, because uh, to me it so obviously seemed like a bad argument. Uh, yeah, I think that's because their their biggest backer source of information is Sony, right? Which is most concerned about console. And so most of the arguments they had were lined up against console. This is one of the other reasons why the Competition Markets Authority in the UK, their their actual finding document they block on based on cloud is like 80% console. I mean, there's there's all sorts of disconnects between what's been happening in this case and what the reality of the gaming industry actually is. Because you get up to consoles and you say, well... You can't kick Switch. That's ridiculous. But also, is keeping Call of Duty going to kill PlayStation? Well, that's a helpful Jim Ryan email that says no. So that's what you present. <laughs> and also, the answer is no to anybody with two cents. Yes. Yeah. No, and I, as soon as they make the argument, I have a video on YouTube up going, this is ridiculous. They know yeah. it's ridiculous. This is the this thing is I the thing I wanted to shout most in the courtroom was like, the, every time they referred to generation nine console and how that was a very specific relevant market. And I just wanted to be like, nobody thinks of it that way. No, <laughs> nobody thinks of generation nine. That doesn't, it's not a metric that matters to anyone. Like it's about the games you can play and the Nintendo and PC, you can play a lot of the same games. And I just, yeah, I just like, as a gamer, it was a little frustrating to see them get stuck on like jargon that no consumer actually gives a hoot about. Most people don't know what gen nine console wow. means, you know? Yeah, and that's and that's the practical indicia, right? Which the Federal Trade Commission promised would be apparent why their definitions were correct and it's not. It's completely wrong. But the the more interesting thing about that from market definition to me is that there was a lot of market participant testimony and emails and documents they used to try to establish what they're talking about. And that's never been the most important thing when analyzing an economic market, right? It doesn't matter what Microsoft thinks of the switch. It matters what the switch actually is in the marketplace. Um, yeah. And so they try to they try to get gotchas. Well, Microsoft talks about Sony more. It's like, yeah, they're closer competitors. That doesn't mean Switch isn't a competitor at all. Right. Yeah. And and that's a fight that they're they're going to lose. They're going to lose on console. I don't think that there's really any question that they didn't meet any of their burdens. So you think if the injunction's granted, it's a cloud reason, right? Or or game subscriptions, but yes, I think that if it's granted, it'll be on on one of those. And I think cloud, because of what the EU found and what the UK found has a certain amount of political usefulness, right? Don't be surprised if whatever you heard the judge say, she says, well, cloud is a question mark, and on a question mark, I'd rather maintain the status quo. Courts are conservative, small C institutions. So yeah. they like to st keep things the way they are, and they've got a government agency telling them that very bad things will happen if they don't do this. So when you think about it that way, you can see how a court, even if they don't necessarily believe the FTC fully, would come out and say, let's just be careful and let's issue that that preliminary injunction. Also, I don't believe you, Microsoft and Activision, that you're just going to walk away from $70 billion deal. So, I mean, some of that is... Yeah, I don't either, by the way. Yeah, they no, don't I don't think anybody... They're not going to. Yeah. But you do get a lot of that. You just Well, Bobby Kotick said the, the Activision would walk away. It's like, well, you believe Bobby, Bobby Kotick now? Have it's you not seen his what he's been up to? Yeah. <laughs> Punching children is what I last heard. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's 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 one of those things where people have asked me a lot about it over this week. And I think I, I think that it is more likely than not, minimally so, that the injunction does not issue because I don't think the Federal Trade Commission came very close to the burdens that they have to bear to get an injunction. Remember, the default rule is that you can buy things in America. 
That includes big things. Microsoft, the default rule is that Microsoft's allowed to spend $70 billion in cash, give it to Activision shareholders and get Activision back. Yeah. That is the default rule. You have to have a separate circumstance that allows them to stop it. And the Federal Trade Commission, I don't think, has ever been very likely to win the ultimate federal case. So you have to find some amount of chance for them to actually win in order to grant the injunction. I don't think the court is likely to do that, but I do think that it is a close enough question that you should be thinking about it in your head is basically 50-50. That's how I'm thinking about I it. Do. And I, I think I'm on the opposite side. I actually think I'm 50-50 and I think it probably will get granted, um, but I don't think it'll be granted for any reason we saw in court. I think people are distracted by a lot of the stuff we didn't see, the numbers we didn't see, the documents that were redacted, and the cloud argument that was not made in court at all, or maybe for, for reasons you pointed out that they had a lot of PlayStation stuff, but I assume that they have some cloud stuff. There's no way they didn't see the CMA's findings and include that somewhere in the written version that they submitted uh, on Friday. So I, I feel like there's, there's enough stuff that I don't know that we're I'm giving it a 50-50, and I'm, if I had to guess, if you pushed me, I'd be like, yeah, I think it's going to be granted. I don't think they'll win when it goes to trial at all, but I think it, I think the injunction will be granted. I think we'll see right. The unusual thing about that thought process, Travis, is that if the injunction is granted, there's going to be a section of that opinion that says, basically, here's how the Federal Trade Commission could ultimately win. And Yep. That has to It'll exist. probably be about cloud, right? It'll be like, focus on this instead of the console thing. Or basically, so, so, right? so what happens next? Like Next week, given, there will be an injunction granted or denied. Okay, so like, let's very say likely. it was one or the other. I mean, just give me the various... Yeah, so if the preliminary injunction is denied, my expectation is that Microsoft would be working with the CMA behind the scenes and, and either get a settlement or another ability to close the deal over them and mm -hmm. that they are likely to move forward very quickly in the early part of July before they have to deal with amending the contract for Activision on July 18th. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if it is... And then if, 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 if then also the the FTC would have the option in that scenario, Dan, of still going through with the trial and, and suing them, even though they would just have to untangle the company after they've merged, presumably. Which is um, another reason why Microsoft has promised to silo Activision, right? When but, we talk about how the court is thinking about a preliminary injunction, the court is determining what bad things will happen if I don't issue it. And the FTC says, well, it'd be impossible to untangle. And then Microsoft says, no, no, we're going to keep it separate, just like we did with Bethesda. So if you need to untangle it, it just pops right out. Yeah. So, so uh, they well, do the other one is if they grant it, then we they are not allowed to complete the purchase. And then the full trial will presumably happen there. Microsoft and Activision are saying that they will cancel the deal. But I think that's complete bullshit personally uh because i i they only have to wait like a month right i think the trial is set for early august or something so um yeah it, w it wouldn't be the end of the world i i think they've made it pretty clear that they'll go to trial microsoft, no they, they're saying the opposite they're well, saying well microsoft told the court in this hearing in that this the hearing maybe will fall apart of course and then bobby Kotick and activision yeah. said we're going to walk away okay. um so no i th i have tweets out that say nope it, it, when you read any of this stuff from an adversarial position, try to understand what ad advantage you have for any given position that you assert. So Microsoft is trying to say, if you enjoin this, very bad things will happen. Every benefit that gamers are going to get from this deal, as they present them, obviously, are, are going to go away. And you are going to have stepped in front of the biggest deal in the industry's history. So know what you're doing, Judge. Mm -hmm. But yes, Fair I think enough. if the preliminary injunction is granted you find a board of directors and shareholder group at Activision that is maybe not so inclined to walk away from $70 billion all <laughs> No yep. kidding. 
Um, we do have a super chat here. Just a question for uh, for you uh, from Cybernox. Good friend. What's up, Cyber? Good to see you. Uh, yeah. Dan, I got it, dude. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it doesn't matter. Uh, Cyber, thank you for the super chat. Hello, all. Do you think it was strategic or was it an afterthought by Microsoft during the closing arguments not mentioning Destiny when discussing COD? I don't think Destiny matters, realistically. I don't think so. Uh, Destiny isn't big enough compared to Call of Duty. And yeah, I know Destiny's huge and people love it, but it's not the same numbers. I also think it was strategic because PlayStation, very importantly and publicly, did not make that game exclusive. So I think it works against their argument about the arms race to buying up exclusive content because that wasn't an exclusivity play. And I think, uh, yeah, it wouldn't have been useful for them to bring that one up. There's plenty of other things they could have brought up that I would have loved to scream out in the courtroom, but uh, yeah. <laughs> can't do that apparently more power to you for keeping quiet <laughs> yeah it's good Judges i would need video like of you being escorted out of the courtroom that would be awesome yeah. that would that would become I, our season gaming intro i muttered to myself does that count <laughs> Knox, thank elaborate. you brother good to see you out there thank you for the super chat Man, I don't know. anything I else like on... be over. how about that so we can not yeah. talk about it anymore because it is so confusing to me and i don't know i don't benefit either way Really? Yeah, I like some of the some of the magazines online were like FTC versus Microsoft is over. Like when they did closing arguments, I was like, this is this is this is the end of the beginning, my friend. Yeah, yeah. preliminary hearing. This is technically a trailer for the 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 trial. Uh, I I yeah, I I think either way, Dan, you're I I would not be surprised if the FTC goes through with the lawsuit, even if they're not granted the injunction, which I think would be a terrible idea. But I, the I think FTC is crazy right now. Yeah, they're acting. They're acting unhinged. And then if the if it is granted, then Microsoft is, I think, ninety five percent going to go through with the with the trial. Um, so I I think this is you're going to hear about it for at least another year, would be my guess. Maybe more. I don't know. Mm. We'll see. Mm. God, <laughs> that's remember I, when people played games and we talked about them on Twitter. Hey man, everybody played Final Fantasy. Said, yeah, yeah. It was man, great. I will never understand until hour three here. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, I think that uh, I think that'll wrap us up for today. There's a couple other game topics I wanted to talk to, but we're at two and a half hours, and uh, yeah, we've been yeah, going for time. a while. So we'll we'll catch up next week. Uh, more importantly, today, of course, was uh, having Tyler on and getting some of his insight and conversation, which I, I really really love. Yep. So uh, yeah, we've been working on that for a while. He had to get respawns approval and go through all these motions to to join today so uh definitely check him out on twitter like i said i'll put the the his information in the description he often does like tweet threads where he talks about development or or misconceptions or other things he's fantastic seriously he's awesome mm -hmm. so make sure you're uh you're checking that out i'm following him uh whenever twitter decides to work again yes, use one way. of your 600 tweets <laughs> yeah don't, don't hit your limit you know uh, be careful there um but regardless, uh, it's been a great week um, for gaming and everything else. Thank you for hanging out with us today. I think for Season Gaming side, I'll keep it quick here. I did put an article up on Friday uh, about Xbox, actually. And um, I, I think I mentioned this last week. But basically where their thoughts are in the future is things that I heard in L.A. and some of the interviews and stuff. So I wrote that up. If you want to check that out, it provides some insight into their thoughts on uh, their first party, cadence of delivery, those types of things. Um, we did uh, Cast Co-op again this week. Episode 45 is on uh, the channel as well. You can check that out. And I'm going to be doing a review this week of uh, the Odyssey Maxwell headset. This is the high-end 
uh, headset that you can get for Xbox PC or PlayStation PC. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic, but I want to do a full overview on it because it's um, it's more of an audiophile headset for gaming, but it's excellent. So keep an eye out for that, hopefully later this week. Travis? Uh, yeah, I've got a review of uh, Everybody 1-2-Switch that's going to be live in the middle of this week um, that you can look out for. Um, and then my next review is Remnant 2, uh, the online uh, multiplayer Souls-like with uh, Dark Souls with Guns, it's sometimes called about, sequel. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm very excited uh, uh, to review that. So look out for that at some point in July. And that's mm. some of the stuff I'm working on. I'm also, I'm working on so many cool things I can't talk about right now, unfortunately, but um, I'll, sh I'll show you them later in like August or something. <laughs> Yay. I, I think I asked you this before, but, and I don't know if you can say, but are you going to be the one reviewing Remnant 2 for IGN? Yes. Awesome. I'm excited yep. about that because that yep, comes yep, out in yep. a couple weeks. Very it does. Cool. I'm getting the code in a couple of days. So awesome. Nice. Very excited. Cool. cool. Hogue, hit us. Yes. Well, we just did Lawyers and Dragons yesterday, and we'll be continuing to do that on the channel. A lot yes. of folks have wanted me to do some virtual legalities on the FTC hearing, and I apologize for not being able to get up to doing that. We're still working through rehabilitation and therapy, but for those of you that are interested in the channel and legal analysis, I have been told by my occupational therapist to go and work on videos as part of my therapy. So cool. We'll see if anything pops out of that because I'm also supposed to throw them in the trash if I don't like them. So we'll see how that process plays out. But the occupational therapist is trying to get more videos for y'all. <laughs> That's good, man. Well, we'll, we'll see, obviously. Um, so that'd be good. It'd be exciting when you're able to get back to that full time. Cause I know you love it. Oh, yes, yeah. it. So I do. Well, it was hard this week, man. Everybody in the world's talking about this thing on my timeline. Well, at least they could educate yeah. you on it. You know what I mean? Yes. A lot of that. <laughs> my goal is never to educate people on this stuff because, you know, I'm not a lawyer and also I, I don't care, but I think it's okay to have opinions. Lawyers don't have a monopoly on knowing things or having opinions about things that are happening in the world. And I think that's fine. My problem is that when you're you don't know about these things and you make very declarative statements about yes. what is going to happen in the process or what the <laughs> you know 100 chance of the injunction not being granted and all this noise that i'm just like dude like i was in the room and i don't even claim to know what's happening you know what i mean like it it's it's anybody's guess so could you, could you solve that problem for us on social media travis could you fix mm -hmm. that i, I will i will do my best to anybody who steps to me <laughs> I will. I will do do the appropriate and. I don't think I've heard that phrasing in maybe twenty years, but I like yeah. It. <laughs> well, oh, I grew up in Oakland in the nineties. What do you want from me? This is my. This is what I know. Start waving. His I hope you don't get and, jumped yeah. while you're at it. Oh my gosh! All right, chat. You've been awesome today. Thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, as always, appreciate all of you. We're gonna go ahead and get out of here because it's been a long one today. Have a good Sunday. Have a good July 4th. Safe, happy. Hope you're getting some rest time in with family or whatever it is you like to do. And we will see you next Sunday. Peace.